0: This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio.
1: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Ah, it's Friday. Yes. It's Friday, folks. And, man, have we got a show for you We've got so much to talk about, whether it's Romney or Debate Fest. I think it was like number 11. Was that the 11th debate?
2: I stopped counting because there's more. It's <sighs> not like it's going to stop. No. Not like they hit 12 oh. and we're over. Yeah. This is crazy. Anyway, happy Friday to you. Also,
1: happy day of unplugging. Don't unplug yet, Ben. No. You got three more hours. Stick to the task till it sticks to you.
2: Do you do that? Do you? Turn off your phones, move away from devices, just try to have a... No. Unplug. I don't. My wife wants me to. I'm like, no. I don't. I enjoy these things. I, don't I need wanna. to unplug, but I don't. I'm, I'll am i be on an airplane. I'll unplug
1: then. Hmm. I always fall asleep for like the first two minutes. This your San Antonio trip? Yeah. Okay. But I found out it's not San Antonio. It's Austin. Oh. Well. Which is just as good. It's great. Right. But I'll sleep for 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Then I'll wake up noticing I'm snoring, and then I immediately look to the person on my right, and they're like, yeah, I'm very, very sorry. <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> you were snoring. <sighs> That's when I'll unplug. Um, it's Grammar Day. We've already talked about grammar this week, in fact, didn't we? Yeah. We talked about, was it this week? It's a blur. It turns into a blur. National yeah, that was a while ago. National Employee Appreciation Day. Was it a while ago? Yeah. Today's the day we're going to appreciate Ben. Just well, I mean,
2: the company will. Okay, he's not really our employee. Yeah, he works I don't here. Pay his check. He works here, takes direction, but yeah. I don't claim him as an employee. No, why? Why would you? No, if push came to shove, because I think if you say that, then someone will come to you and raise your taxes or something. Oh yeah. Oh, you're a Do small you employ business people. No, we don't.
1: <laughs> so where to begin? I guess we got to start with some Romney. So Romney had this big press conference yesterday, well, a speech. It was like 17 minutes. And it really was, the whole thing was basically to, to just... Trump bad. Trump bad.
0: In fact, this was pretty much the headline. Here's what I know. Donald Trump is a phony, a fraud. His promises are as worthless as a degree from Trump University. <laughs> but you say, wait, wait, wait. Isn't he a huge business success? Doesn't he know what he's talking about? No, he isn't. And no, he doesn't. His bankruptcies have crushed small businesses and the men and women who work for them. He inherited his business. He didn't create it. And whatever happened to Trump Airlines? And then there's Trump Magazine and Trump Vodka and Trump Steaks and Mm. Trump Mortgage. Mm -hmm. A business genius he is not.
1: He's taking him on. He's
0: not a business genius.
1: There's all these other Trump things that have failed.
0: And and let me put it very plainly: if we Republicans choose Donald Trump as our nominee, the prospects for a safe and prosperous future are greatly diminished. Let me explain why I say that. Donald Trump says he admires Vladimir Putin. Mm-hmm. At the same time, he's called George W. Bush a liar. That is a twisted example of evil trumping good.
2: So See what he's... he did there? Trumping? Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I don't know if people got that. It was a bit of a joke there. I'm getting a sense
1: that Romney doesn't like Trumpster.
2: Yes, this is a true fact.
1: But, but he, he was very he was he was very uh, passionate that Trump can't be the nominee. He can't be. He's selling us, uh, you know. He's selling us something. He, he's he's phony. He's a liar. But he's he's
0: smart. Donald says. Now, Donald Trump tells us that he is very, very smart. <laughs> I'm afraid that when it comes to foreign policy, he is very, very not smart.
2: Very not smart.
1: Yeah, because he doesn't want to say he's dumb. Because that
2: sounds like something Donald would say. Right. And he's trying to have a higher level of discourse here. So why do you think he's doing this? Somebody asked him to. You think uh, you think like probably a, Rubio. National DOP committee <laughs> called up and said, um, hey, Mitt, you're the one guy who could do this. And if you got hit, it wouldn't hurt your poll numbers because you don't have any poll numbers. But people still yeah. respect you. When you announce this, the national media will come running.
1: Basically, so go ahead. Basically what he, he said also is, look, just a vote for anybody else is a better vote. So in Ohio – vote for Kasich. In Florida, vote for Rubio. Where uh, Cruz
2: can win, vote for Cruz. Do you know what that would end up with? That sounds like something that would happen, like a, a log jam at the if convention. people did that, that's the brokered convention. That's what people don't want, because yeah. then, then when you show up to have your convention to show off, look, we're a united party, you just have chaos. Right. And they don't want that. I want that. Because I think it'd be great TV. Oh, I know, but see what he's but people, saying. But they don't want ba- that. They bad want America great TV. That was one of the complaints from the uh, presidential candidates: is that he didn't offer a solution. Right. He just said, "Don't do all this," and then vote for these guys in their individual states. But he, but Romney didn't offer. Hold a on. Let solution. me get this straight.
1: So the candidates, yes, that are partially responsible for why th- we're in this hole, yes, are mad that. That Romney, not a candidate, yes. didn't offer a solution, or as they called it, a path forward. Well, he did offer a path forward, not one that led Vote to a solution. Vote for anybody but Trump, and then yeah. at the convention it'll be decided.
2: Yeah, they want
1: because at the convention, well, if...
2: I, I think they each. I think like Ted Cruz wanted Romney to say, "Vote for Ted Cruz." That's oh, yeah. what he wants. That's exactly what he wants. But, but at the
1: convention, it could be very simple because if if Romney or if Rubio and Cruz have more total delegates then trump so romney and cruz combined mm-hmm. have more total candidate or uh uh what are they called uh delegates delegates than the trumpster then they are the ticket and it's very simple if cruz has more delegates he's the president candidate nominee second runner-up becomes vice president then Kasich. Could become secretary of state. <laughs>
3: it's very simple. You just
1: start handing out like Department of Transportation. I, think, I mean, it really, and, it, could, it could feasibly just be that simple yeah. because it would be everyone but Trump. But if –
2: anyway. <sighs> but, but they don't see that as a solution. No. They, they want the endorsement. They want to be the winner and no, Romney didn't do that. So. But then you got to get to the debate
1: because the debate was, uh, again, a crazy, exhausting experience. It was it – was, I'm not even going to talk about the op- one of the opening statements by Donald, from Donald, but it was a reference to the hands again. Unbelievable that this is even in the game. Ah! It's crazy. It is crazy. And then I, here's personally what I think is happening. I think Donald is not held to the same standard, period, no. of any other person on the stage. Because – He's not a politician. He's just a guy. So he can kind of waffle, mm-hmm. and and that was actually I thought really I thought they did a really good job of capturing because they had they could pull up charts and say and videos. You said this Now You said this. And this is what I think the benefit of technology
2: is: is let's finally start catching. Well, before everyone. people would point that out, and he would deny it. You go, that's a lie. Right. Well, now they on, this, on the stage on the show, they showed clips. This is what you said here. This is what you're saying now. What's the difference? Yeah. So um, let's play clip 14. This is Trump
1: talking about why he we would call it flip flopping. Historically is what we call a politician when they do it. He called it flexible.
0: But I've never seen a successful person who wasn't flexible, who didn't have a certain degree of flexibility. But and I really mean it you have to show a degree of flexibility if you're going to be one way and you think it's wrong does that mean the rest of your life you have to go in the wrong direction because you don't want to change
2: now on some levels he has a point if you find out that your position is completely wrong new information comes in right you can change your mind you say i was wrong here we go he's just denying he said anything on many cases right well and
1: he can he can say, I misunderstood that. I thought he was talking about Iraq, not Afghanistan. I thought this. But – I don't know who David Duke my, was. Now I do. My earpiece yeah. wasn't working. Yeah. So – but here's the bigger dilemma because in – and we've talked about this on the show before. A lot of times in the conservative GOP party, it's more about principle than it is about, uh, about like collaboration, for example. And his – his i the the flip flopping idea in the GOP doesn't work because you're supposed to have a principle mm-hmm. that you based your decision on.
2: So you this Not is where
1: situation you're, you're solid. You never move from here. It's the situational ethic thing where every situation is different. So my values and my ethics are different. That's what everyone's frustrated with because he seems to be fairly uh, unprincipled. Is what I guess they he's just he doesn't have. I don't know. A mooring that he's tied to. So th- then there was the back and forth, like a million of them, and Ted Cruz jumped in and started fighting with Donald and actually tell- and Don- telling Donald to breathe, just breathe, just breathe. And it turned into yoga and then back to flexibility. Play clip 17. Um,
4: I wrote one op-ed. Supporting President Bush's nomination after he made it, I would not have made that nomination. But let me point out, if what Donald you say not actually That is not
0: what you said in the no,
4: no, please, I know it's hard yeah, not to interrupt. Is, but, but, but it's but not try. what you said in the outset. Breathe. Lion. Breathe. Ted.
5: breathe. You right. can do it. You could breathe. I, I know it's hard. I know it's hard, but just. When they're done with the yoga, can I answer the question? You, you
4: cannot. <laughs> I really hope that we don't don't see yoga on this stage. Well, he's very flexible, it, it, so we, you never know.
1: <laughs> and that's – so now the pundits are saying, you know, Rubio's just being a comedian now. Come on, Rubio. You got to give your positions. Much of the night was that back and forth. And it seemed like Rubio and Cruz were kind of ganging up together, almost tag team And Rubio would take on the Donster – But the Donster – and and then what was interesting, it seemed like to me, is that Cruz again took better advantage of it than – because Cruz could always bring it back to his position that I'm the one you trust. Look at what's going on here. It's just – I don't know where we're going to go with this. I don't know how this ends. And then it gets back to that whole Wall Street thing. The Wall Street uh, – no, what was it? Uh, the you know, the New York Times interview yes. with Donald. Where it's off the record. It's what all, did it actually say? But the issue is people – I guess off the record, he, he said that none of his immigration stand, stands are really going to matter because he's not going to do most of them.
2: Everything's negotiable. We'll figure out a, a, a way forward Which on this. Which is why this. the flexibility thing keeps
1: being such a big deal. And yeah. they're saying just re, just tell the New York Times to release the – off-the-record stuff, which they said they would, and he's like, no, I won't do that. Yeah, of course. Again, a different standard. And yet, again, I think this is the point we make every time we talk about Donald. If you don't understand the anger of the people behind him, you're never going to fix this because they don't care if he's real. They don't. they don't care if he scammed people. Their other option are the people that right. haven't done anything for them, so yeah. that's what they're looking So it's at. either the politician... Status quo or the other options. So anyway, uh, crazy debate, crazy time. We'll be talking about it, I'm sure, for days. Lucky. Uh, also today, by the way, we're going to be speaking with a doctor um, about painkiller abuse. It's killing more people than than handguns, than street violence. We never hear about it. I mean, as a, I mean, talk about putting guns away. We got we've got to deal with this. Doctors are overprescribing opiates. Uh, Vicodin, Percocet, OxyContin. It's killing people. We're going to be talking about the painkiller abuse uh, in just a few moments. But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry. Find out what's going on around the world.
2: Thanks, Matt. Mitt Romney has instructed his closest advisors to explore the possibility of stopping Donald Trump at the Republican National Convention, a source close to Romney's inner circle said. In, uh, in 2012, GOP nominee advisors are examining what a fight at the convention might look like and what rules might need revising. It sounds like the plan is to lock the convention, says a source. Other names coming up in these discussions uh, House Speaker Paul Ryan who was uh, Romney's running mate in 2012 as a possible option at the convention to step in if needed. He he already stepped in. Now he's got to step in again. Mitt Romney was on the Today Show this morning supporting his anything-but-Trump message. Well, there's no question I'm
0: going to do everything within the normal political bounds to make sure that we don't nominate Donald Trump. I think he would be uh, terribly unfit for office. I don't think he has the temperament to be president. And so I want to see one of the other three become the, uh, the nominee. Now, by the way, after March 15th, I think you'll see it narrow down to one or two contenders opposing the, Donald Trump. And I intend that to uh, to support one of them.
2: In other news at the debate last night, I believe towards the end, there was an uncomfortable moment as the moderators asked each of the, uh, the candidates if they would support Donald Trump, if he was the nominee, and watching each one look into the camera and go, uh, they'd they'd hedge or they said, yes, I would because that's what I said I would do. Not that they want to support Trump, but fine. Fine. I'll (laughs) do it. That was kind of interesting to watch each one of them go through that. Even Um, Donald
1: said he would support the candidate. He would. Which they actually framed it so he wouldn't – you agree you're not going to run basically as a third-party candidate. You will support –
2: But he's flexible. This candidate. He's flexible. He's very flexible. Finally, uh, from a crumpled paper bag in a dilapidated house came a baseball card find of a lifetime. Seven of them, actually. Card experts in Southern California said Wednesday that they have verified the legitimacy and seven-figure total of seven identical Ty Cobb cards from the printing period of 1909 to 1911. Wow. Before the recent find there were only about fifteen of these cards known to be in existence. The family who discovered the cards in a neglected paper bag at a rundown house of a deceased great grandfather has asked to remain anonymous. The total worth of the whole collection of cards exceeds a million dollars. It's not clear yet what the family wants to do with the cards. Mm-hmm. But you know, you just go rummaging through grandpa's oh, attic look what we and found like, Whoa, That look at is that. huge.
1: That's so cool. Man, I think I'd sell them though. I mean, take pictures of them, put them in a scrapbook, make lots of money, go to Cancun. There you go. Mm. Live it up. Get a great tan. Good stuff. Good stuff, folks. Man, it's Friday. Busy, uh, busy day. Uh, In just a few minutes, we're going to go talk with Dr. Andrew Kolodny, who is uh, on a crusade to stop painkiller abuse and the overprescribing from doctors of these painkillers. Folks, it's killing more people than guns, then street violence. You know somebody in your life, family, friends that have died because of uh, prescription drug abuse. Stick with us, folks. We're going to be talking about some resources, some tools, and really what's going on uh, and and how we need to make our lives safer with our families when it comes to uh, the use of painkillers. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer, folks. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, in 2014, just a year and a half ago, 19,000 Americans fatally overdosed on prescription opiate painkillers. That's a 16% increase from the previous year. According to government statistics, nearly 1.9 million Americans abuse or are dependent on legal opiates. Many experts claim that the rise in addiction comes from doctors over-prescribing addictive opiates like Vicodin, Percocet, and OxyContin for major uh, or just for minor ailments. And in 2012 alone, physicians wrote more than 259 million opiate prescriptions. That is triple the number of two decades earlier. And in just a few uh, years, painkillers have become one of the largest health epidemics in our country. And doctors are prescribing and over-prescribing may be the source of that problem. Joining us today is Dr. Andrew Kolodny, Executive Director and Co-Founder of Physicians for Responsible Opioid Prescribing, also known as PROP. He's here to help us walk through this epidemic, figure out what we can do to uh, to watch out for in our own lives. Dr. Kolodny, welcome to The Matt Townsend Show.
5: Thanks for having me.
1: You bet. Honored to have you. This This is such an important topic. I see it with clients and friends. It's uh, it's it's out of control, isn't it?
5: It is. This is the worst drug addiction epidemic the United States has ever faced, and it's gotten worse each year for the past fifteen years. So that every year we set a new record for people dying from prescription opioid overdoses, and then the very next year we break that record.
1: Uh, and it, and it's I mean to me, I just reading the numbers two hundred and fifty nine million opioid prescriptions in 2012 just that right there might tell us the story because 250 million prescriptions times i don't know 30 dollars a prescription or whatever the numbers are that's a lot of money
5: it is and you're right that does tell much of the story the reason that we are in the midst of a severe epidemic of opioid addiction and i should say when you know when i use the term opioid i'm not just talking about drugs like hydrocodone and oxycodone, commonly prescribed pain medicines. Heroin is also an opioid, and in fact, the effects that heroin produces in the brain are indistinguishable from the effects produced by oxycodone. So an experienced Mm. heroin user can't tell the difference between each of those drugs. But the reason that we've got this severe epidemic of opioid addiction is that the medical community began to prescribe very aggressively Starting in the nineties and as the prescriptions went up, rates of addiction started rising and overdose deaths along with it.
1: So so interesting because um I there's you know, in a lot of cities across the country heroin addictions and overdoses are off the off the charts. So heroin would be more of the street the street version of the prescription painkiller.
5: That's correct. Well, we basically have two groups of Americans that have become opioid addicted over the past 20 years, the younger group and an older group. The younger group, when they get addicted, and they could be getting addicted through medical use of painkillers prescribed for sports injury or some kind of medical procedure or dental procedure, or they can get addicted from recreational use. That young group, when they get addicted, and they now need a large supply of pills on a regular basis, they have trouble getting that from doctors. They can get a few pills here and there from doctors, but doctors are uncomfortable, unless the doctor's a drug dealer, they don't wanna give a healthy looking 25 year old lots of pills on a regular basis. So that group winds up on the black market and the pills are very expensive on the black market. So if they're in a region of the country where heroin is available, they switch over because it's Mm. much cheaper. And over the past 15 years, we've seen heroin move into more places where it wasn't previously available to meet the demand for it by these young people who have become opioid addicted. But it's important to remember that there's this older group that's become addicted. These are people in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, who are mostly becoming addicted through treatment for chronic pain. And when that older group gets addicted, they don't need to go to the black market. They usually can find doctors who will prescribe them all of the pills that they would want. And what's interesting and not well known is that the overdose death rate is actually much higher in the older group Hmm. that's easily able to get pills from doctors than it is in the younger group that has to switch over to heroin. Why is that? Well, I think if you're giving someone who's opioid addicted a very large quantity of opioids on a regular basis and uh, they've got an unlimited supply, it's very easy for them to wind up taking too much and overdosing. The younger people who are out on the street buying heroin, they're having a harder time making ends meet. Sometimes they're engaging even in criminal activities to maintain their opioid supply. Overall, the amount that they're using tends to be a, a much lower overall opioid amount. What's beginning to change, though, is in the past two or three years, the heroin supply has become much more dangerous. Yeah. Increasingly, it has a drug called fentanyl mixed into it, which makes the uh, heroin much more potent. So we have seen a very large uptick in deaths in heroin users because the heroin has become more dangerous. But even with this very dangerous heroin supply, we still see more overdoses in middle-aged people receiving legitimate prescriptions for opioids from doctors
1: and and talk to us about what an opioid does to the body what what are they feeling that uh, it's not it, it's not like overstimulating them isn't is it slowing them down? what's it what is it what is it doing to the body?
5: Well in large Doses, you'll see people appear very sedated when they've taken an opioid, and certainly in, in a large dose, or even in a small dose, if you're not taking an, if you're not used to taking an opioid, it can slow your breathing, and it can even slow people's breathing down so much that they stop breathing and they die of an overdose, which has become a leading cause of death in the U.S. Mm. Um, opioids can relieve pain; they also can produce a euphoria; they can make people feel good, and so that you want to keep taking the drug over and over again. The problem is that when someone takes an opioid repeatedly, whether they're taking it repeatedly because a doctor prescribed it or they're taking repeatedly because they like the effect, it's a highly addictive drug. If you keep doing that, you wind up addicted to the drug. And then without the drug, you feel absolutely awful. You feel pain, you feel flu-like symptoms, and you feel severe anxiety-like. Like a panic attack, like you're going to die, like you're losing your mind, which is why people will do very desperate things sometimes to maintain their opioid supply.
1: Mm. And they can become tolerant to it like, like within two weeks, right? So just two weeks of a knee injury, you could become, you could, it would no longer, you'd need to take more in order to have a higher or, or stronger effect.
5: Th- that's that's right. In fact, it can happen in even a week. Can if you're it? taking an opioid every day. Uh, a few times a day, you'll start to need a higher dose in order to get an effect, in order to get uh, pain relief. But also, within if you're taking it every day, your body begins to become dependent on the drug so that when you stop taking the drug, you'll start to feel withdrawal symptoms. And that begins in, in as little as five days.
1: I mean, if you're feeling – if you're becoming addicted to a painkiller because of a needed or necessary surgery, this is – yeah, it's, it's, there's got to be a better way, right? Well,
5: in, yes, there, there is. And in Western Europe, for example, opioids are prescribed much more cautiously. Um, and they're doing probably a better job of treating pain than, than we are. Opioids are great medicines for end-of-life care when you want to ease suffering from someone who might have metastatic cancer, for example. And they're very useful if you've just had major surgery for a few days. But we've got dentists giving teenagers 30, 40, 50 Vicodin after wisdom teeth come out when they never even needed to give one Vicodin, Mm. where drugs like Advil would have been just as effective if not more effective because it's anti-inflammatory. So we do have massive over-prescribing. We're giving out pills um, much too easily. The doctors who are writing these prescriptions And the patients who are taking them or the parents who are giving them to their children, I don't think they recognize that we're talking about drugs that are essentially heroin pills that need to be prescribed and taken very cautiously.
1: Yeah. Holy cow! It's uh, it, it, th- this is the epidemic, man. Let's take a break. I want to talk more um, about you know what what else we should watch out for as parents, what we can do, and and how this spreads to even you know heroin and and other things, and the importance of not introducing other drugs too into the process because that could create even more problems. We're speaking again with Dr. Andrew Kolodny from the Organization of Physicians for Responsible Opioid Prescription. Or prop, and they again have a wonderful website uh, to get to kind of clue us all in on on this this epidemic there's probably no better word for it than epidemic. We'll take a break, come back and uh, continue the discussion folks painkiller abuse don't take it lightly. this is a serious, serious deal. This is the Matt Townsend show helping you live longer, healthier lives we'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Crazy stuff, folks. Uh, Again, 47,000 Americans overdosed in 2014. That is a 7% increase over the previous year and about one and a half times as many people as died in car crashes or in gun violence combined. When we say epidemic, we mean epidemic. We hear all of this talk about gun control and the gun lobby and yet... More people are dying because of prescriptions, uh, because of painkillers, opiate painkillers, Vicodin, Percocet, Oxycontin, heroin. And it's affecting the youth and older people. And honestly, in a crazy world we live in, heroin isn't where heroin is is kind of the cheaper version of these prescription drugs. But it's the people that are using the prescription drugs. It sounds like, according to our expert, that are really ending up, um, you know, becoming more addicted, more hung out and strung out than uh, even the younger people that are just using the heroin. Uh, Again, all of them are bad. Dr. Andrew Kolodny is joining us. And uh, Dr. Kolodny is um, one of the founders, uh, co-founder and executive director of Physicians for Responsible Opioid Opioid Prescribing, also known as PROP. And you can go to the website, supportprop.org, which is a, a resource site where you can find out more information about opioid uh um prevention and, and overprescription. We appreciate uh, you Dr. Andrew Kolodny for being with us again. Thank you. It um again I found it in my own family. I've seen it. It starts with, you know, a surgery and uh like you said, an overprescription probably, you know, 40 pills then need, you know, lead to them borrowing or finding or stealing another 40 and then eventually they start shopping it and i mean i've seen it i've seen people lose their kids their family their marriages and eventually have to go to heroin and then hit the street it's it's a terrible terrible thing and you're saying this really this is this is everywhere and we're not paying attention to it
5: that that's correct uh every state in the country has within it counties that are have that are struggling counties where there have been sharp increases in overdose deaths where families have been devastated either by overdose deaths or, or struggling with a loved one who has a addiction. Uh, and this is a problem that's really continuing to get worse. As, it meant, as I mentioned earlier, it was caused by doctors over-prescribing pain medicines. We started in the 90s to really prescribe opioids more aggressively. And the reason we started to prescribe so aggressively is because in many ways we were responding to a, a brilliant marketing campaign that misinformed the medical community about how risky these drugs are. The, the risks were minimized. The medical community was told that, that addiction had been, the risk of addiction had been overblown and that we were letting patients suffer needlessly, that we could be much more compassionate if we recognized that real addiction from opioids was very rare the proper way to treat pain is uh, just about any complaint of pain was with an opioid and doctors didn't just hear this from the drug company making OxyContin or from other drug companies that ultimately got their painkillers on the market they were hearing it from professionals eminent in the field of pain who were on speakers bureaus for the the drug Mm. companies but they also heard it from their hospitals from their medical boards From their professional societies there was this movement many of the people involved in the movement really believed what they were saying there was this notion that opioids are a gift from mother nature and we're letting people suffer needlessly because we're too cautious and so you doctors began to hear that if you were an enlightened compassionate physician the way to treat pain is with opioids and as we responded to that campaign and as the prescribing went up it led to this public health crisis we're dealing with today.
1: Is there? Uh, it seems like there are tighter restrictions now on doctors, where their prescriptions are now, I believe, being tracked better by the by the federal government. Um, is that helping crack down on this at all?
5: There, there really
1: isn't tracking
5: of prescribing. Every state has, uh, except for Missouri, has uh, uh, databases called prescription drug monitoring databases. And those databases could be used to track aggressive prescribing. They could be used to even have a medical board send a letter to a doctor saying, look, we're worried about your prescribing, please prescribe more cautiously, or or sanction doctors if they're prescribing very aggressively. That's not really happening. What is happening is that the medical community is being encouraged to use those databases to see whether or not their patient is visiting multiple prescribers. That's it, yeah. Because, of course, if the patient is visiting lots of doctors, they're probably addicted, and giving them a prescription could kill them. Uh, so um, that's happening, and a few states have even mandated that their prescribers use the database before writing a prescription for a narcotic. But n- those databases, unfortunately, are not being used to monitor the prescribing practices.
1: It's crazy because we hear so much about the drug war, and we've got to tighten the border so we're not getting drugs across the border. But then the drug war could just be big farm, too, right? Big pharmaceuticals pushing a lot of uh, research in the '80s and '90s that, that wasn't necessarily, you know, academic and, uh, and, and changing, you know, the way we see prescriptions and, and the way we see medicating.
5: That's right. I think the legal narcotics manufacturers have been a much bigger problem. They actually, by promoting opioids as safe and effective for common conditions where where they may not be safe or effective, uh, by doing that and by changing the way the medical community prescribed opioids, it led to this crisis. It led to millions of people getting addicted, and they even created a market for the drug cartels are able to su- supply heroin. And yet the legal narcotics dealers are not getting in any trouble. Purdue Pharma had a, paid a small fine a few years ago, but they're still aggressively promoting these products. And, and it's it's allowed in our federal agency, the FDA, which is the agency that's supposed to regulate pharmaceutical companies. They haven't really done their job well and they keep approving new opioids, sometimes even over the objection of their scientific advisors, new opioids keep coming onto the market.
1: My sister was a nurse and uh, in an emergency room and she said she actually quit because of this thing, because of, uh, you know, addicts that keep coming in and just shopping doctors, faking injuries, doing whatever they can to get their next prescription. This is this is something that the medical world could do a lot for, but also, I guess, in the end, if I take my kid to get his wisdom teeth out, I I need to make sure that we don't walk away with a prescription of forty Percocet.
5: No, um, you know, first of all, even if you were going to use an opioid um, after wisdom teeth come out, there's pain for maybe one or two days. Yeah, two days worth. Needed more than two days worth, but. Um, there's good evidence that Advil, uh, uh, drugs like ibuprofen, are better uh, for dental pain, um, and they have an anti-inflammatory effect. And in other countries, they don't give ch- you know teenagers Vicodin after wisdom teeth come out. They give them drugs like Advil. So um, I, I think that really is um, important. What about
1: after surgery? So if somebody went in for hip replacement surgery, um, I assume that might... Take a little more time needing pain meds, but at, at what point do do you need no longer need pain medicine? I mean, after, how do you after, do that?
5: Yeah, after major surgery, a patient will typically, uh, if they're going to need opioids, it usually be for two or three days. Even a hip replacement. There are some surgical procedures, for example, open chest surgery where a patient is absolutely gonna need opioids for more than three days after they've had that type of major surgery. But for most severe pain, it's usually that you don't need opioids for more than three days, and yet we're routinely giving far more than that. Uh, Medical staff and hospitals are being encouraged to prescribe aggressively because the hospitals wanna get good ratings from patients on, you know, did did the hospital do everything to treat my pain? Did I get a medicine for pain every time I needed it? Those scores to questions like that are used to determine hospital reimbursement mm. uh, f- uh, from the, the federal government. So they're, they're also encouraging aggressive prescribing. You, know, you, you mentioned, I, I think you said it was your, your sister's a nurse in a hospital? Yeah, yeah. And it was very frustrating for her to have to deal with people coming to an emergency room saying they have pain. And what they wanted was a, a painkiller because they're addicted. You know, I, I don't, we shouldn't really think of these people as addicts in the sense that you know there's this group of people in our population who are just bad, who, right. who want to just take drugs because it feels good. They're not addicts. They are suffering from addiction. And for many of them, that addiction began by taking pills exactly as prescribed right. by doctors. And even though they can engage in and behaviors that are pretty bad once they're addicted we should recognize that they really have they're, they're suffering from a from a disease and their quality of life is awful oh, yeah. they wake up every morning with some degree of withdrawal until they've taken their first dose their life revolves around maintaining their opioid supply the opioids themselves actually make people feel depressed the only way they can try to feel normal or feel any pleasure at all is by taking an opioid so these they 're really miserable and suffering, and and if you 're a doctor or a nurse in an emergency room dealing with these folks pretending to have pain, it can be very frustrating and get angry at them but we we have to come up with better ways of helping these people get treatment yeah and we 're not doing a very good job
1: and you will one hear the, yeah. oh go ahead, no go ahead, doctor.
5: Well, I was going to say one of the more effective treatments for people who have opioid addiction. Um, is treatment with a medicine called buprenorphine or Suboxone. Yeah. And there's not enough access to that that medicine, unfortunately. And um, we have to do a much better job of seeing that people get treatment. If we don't, and if we just focus on preventing new cases of addiction, which we have to, but if that's all we do is focus on more cautious prescribing, then heroin will keep flooding in, and overdose deaths will remain very high until that generation dies out
1: and explain Suboxone, because a lot of times that is that's that's the drug that's kind of I guess the gateway drug off of the opiates
5: yes so um, suboxone has opiate uh, you'd consider it an opioid because it does interact with the brain's opiate receptor um, it works differently from other opioids we call it a we call it a partial agonist which is sort of a fancy way of saying that it doesn't produce a full effect. When patients take that drug, it causes, if someone's addicted and they're taking that drug, they get enough of, a, of an effect from the drug that their cravings are very controlled. They, but they don't get an effect that would make them feel intoxicated. And the drug has a unique property where if somebody wants to try to get high from it by taking lots of extra pills or, or actually strips. Uh, It comes as a sublingual strip. If they try to take extra in order to get uh, a euphoria from it, that won't happen. It has what we call a ceiling effect. Mm. And not only will they not get a euphoria, but they also won't get the the respiratory depression that that won't stop their breathing the way other opioids would, which makes it much safer. There's a stigma around being on an opioid-like drug for your opioid addiction, And um, there are some who would say that's not really treatment. You're just substituting one drug for another. Um, And um, it's unfortunate that people have that attitude because the abstinence-based approaches don't work well, probably for most people who are opioid addicted. Some people can recover without this, without buprenorphine, but probably most can't. And if you insist on an abstinence-based approach, people will fail over and over again. Sometimes they They'll give up even trying to recover, and overdose deaths, as we know, in in untreated opioid addiction are very common.
1: So then they get on Suboxone, and then they, do they stay on it forever? Do they wean down
5: on it? Uh, How does that work? Well, some people are gonna need it very long-term. Hopefully not for, hopefully nobody will need it forever, and hopefully there'll be other options out there that will come up with better treatments. There's talk of vaccines, for example, uh, for, for opioid addiction, um, so but a short-term use of Suboxone doesn't seem to work well. If you only give it to someone for uh, a month or a few months, when they come off, they wind up relapsing. Um, it's Once you, you take someone off the drug, the cravings start to come back very strong, yeah. so they have to have strategies for dealing with those cravings if someone is actively engaged in 12 step programs for example narcotics anonymous or alcoholics anonymous and they're taking that very seriously or they're plugged in with cognitive behavioral therapy if they're doing that they stand a pretty they stand a chance of mm-hmm. of maintaining recovery when they come off of suboxone but if they're not engaged in intensive psychosocial treatments we would call them There's a very high likelihood of relapse when they come off,
1: and then and then eventually it just sounds like they lose hope, they they give up, it's not going to work. They stay, I mean, and and the opiate keeps creating more depression, more anxiety, more cravings, up to eventually overdose.
5: That's that's right. I've uh, treated patients with uh, opioid addiction who um, on Suboxone who who do very well and. They'll say, "Wow, I can't believe you know they're they're recovering. Their life is coming back together." And they'll say sometimes that they had really given up hope, that they didn't know that it, they they didn't think that they would ever recover. They had just resigned themselves to being heroin mm. uh, addicted to heroin for the rest of their life because they would get they would get checked in for a detox, meaning tapered with methadone for a few days and sent home, and they'd pick up again and they'd or they'd go to the family would spend tens of thousands of dollars to send them to a rehab for 30 days and then they'd get out and they'd relapse and they had just, they didn't think that recovery was possible. And so um, uh, that it's unfortunate that we insist too often on abstinence-based approaches. Their patients do need better access to uh, treatment with medicine like Suboxone and the federal government recognizes that um the pre- president obama and his budget for 2017 is proposing 1.1 billion for the opioid addiction epidemic and most of that is for improving access to medication assisted treatment
1: yeah wow it is a it is a big deal and uh I think I think we've learned a lot, and we need to we need to step up. Dr. Andrew um, Kolodny, we appreciate your insight and your great work that you're doing there at Physicians for Responsible Opioid Prescribing. Thank you for being with us today.
5: Thank you for having me, Matt.
1: You bet. Again, go check out the website supportprop.org supportprop.org where you can get more information for um, just how to how to watch out for this, how to be a better advocate as well, and resources to uh, help overcome some of these major, major problems. We'll take a break, folks. Uh, Come back do a quick little wrap up of the first hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Man, I think you—I think you see it uh, again. You can easily have this mentality that somebody that is addicted to uh, to any painkiller, to any drug, they just lack character, right? They just—they uh, would just focus, hunker down. They—they they could just kick it. They could fix this, folks. It's the body. And it's addiction, it's a sickness, it's an illness, and it's being preyed on by uh, large organizations, huge institutions that are designing the chemicals, the drugs, and uh, pushing the prescription of them. It's doctors that have been informed one way and uh, haven't checked their data or their research recently. Remember, a lot of the education that goes on with the doctors once they are, they've graduated and are in the hospitals comes from drug companies. They're the ones that release the data and bring in, you know, the drug rep to, to update them on the latest research. Isn't it interesting that the work from Dr. Andrew Kolodny is talking about the fact that Advil and ibuprofen in many cases is just as effective as these other stronger painkillers? The minute you're prescribed a painkiller, I would – you should be scared. I mean, if somebody handed you a gun, you'd be terrified. You'd be terrified. If somebody hands you 10 painkillers, I'd be terrified. So when you go in and just have a simple procedure done and they give you 10 or 20 painkillers, be nervous. It should have the same effect on you as if somebody is handing you a gun. Because for some people, in your genes, you may have the addictive genes too and be more likely to get addicted. Within 1 week to 2 weeks, you could become addicted to the painkiller. And all because you got your teeth done or you've you had a little surgery. It's crazy, folks. So take it seriously. More deaths than in car accidents and gun violence annually combined. And overdoses are going off the chart because now heroin is a cheaper fix instead of a $40 pill. It's a $5 bag of heroin, and the heroin is now laced with other drugs like fentanyl. Not, not good. Watch out for it. Watch out for your kids. Watch out for the drugs that are in your house. Get rid of them. Take them. Don't flush them. That creates other problems. But take them and and dispose of them properly. That's the first hour of the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break. We'll be back next hour. More ideas to help you live longer and stronger.
6: Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Your guide on the side. Follow
6: Dr. Matt on Twitter.
0: At Dr. Matt Show.
6: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
3: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
0: BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt
1: Townsend Show. It's Friday. Friday, which means you get to relax. Get ready for your big uh, weekend. You know,
2: maybe it's time to... Start taking care of the yard again. Unfortunately. <laughs> Isn't that great? My neighbor was out with his lawnmower last night. Oh, really? What are you doing? It hasn't even grown yet. Oh, I, think yeah. was, I think he was thatching. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Oh,
1: I love a good thatch. I think he was doing that. My son, uh, they go do uh, the power rate. You know what's it called? Um, air rating. Yes. I need that, too. And they make great money. They go door to door, my son-in-law, and they... They make a lot of money in about two, day, two, two weeks. They come home sore. I love it. I say, that's work, son. That's work. Hey, we got a great show for you today. We're going to be talking with Dr. Lori uh, Shemek about some work on how to rewire your brain for success. Sometimes our brains aren't wired right. If you watched the debate last night, you may have seen that. But we, we got to figure out how to keep our heads straight and – because we all have memories of things that didn't go well and sometimes we make those memories just – they become the rule. You know, That's why people I think are afraid of public speaking. You can handle it but you remember when you first had to speak in third grade and it terrified you and you had this reaction and then that reaction stays with you and then all of a sudden you're always afraid of public speaking. It's not that big of a deal. In fact, Ben, I'd like you now to take over the show.
2: If you're willing to accept responsibility for that, I
7: will be willing to take over the show.
2: Discuss the uh, referendum that the U.K. will have on the uh, (laughs) membership in the European Union. Go ahead. Once upon
7: a time. Okay.
1: There we uh, go. Thank you. So. (laughs) That was very close.
2: We almost turned it over to Ben. I was trying to think of an important slash boring topic, and that's what came to mind. That was really boring. Because it's important, but oh my gosh. You listen to people talk about it, you know, oh, drive off the road. Right. So be careful. Don't drive and listen to the BBC. Hey, um, (laughs) if you were going, if you, let's say,
1: let's say you were going to die someday. Just for instance. Hypothetically. Yeah. Would you ever want to see who came to your funeral? So if you I've, could, al,
2: I've often thought about it.: If that. you could watch your funeral now, would you want to see it? You'd kind of want to see what people would say about yeah. you. I went to a guy's funeral recently, and uh, he wasn't really from this area. He was living with his, his, one of his kids. He was an outsider. When he died. And so you show up to the funeral, and there was 20, 30 people there. You were in a large room and there just wasn't a lot of people there. His family was there, but like, you know, there wasn't a lot of friends because he'd moved away from them. And Mm -hmm. so there's no travel and all that. So it just seemed kind of like you'd want more people there. Yeah. And yeah,
1: you'd want to see, like, are they crying? Is there a lot of laughter? Yeah. Like, why are they laughing? What jokes do they tell about Like, what
2: impact did I have on them? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So check out this. A Chinese man holds his own funeral to see if mourners will show up. Hmm. Earlier this month, a 66-year-old villager in eastern China held a funeral to mark his own passing someday in the future just to see who would show up. As it turns out, more than 40 people cared enough to show up to his mock funeral with the numbers inflated by intrigued residents from the neighboring villages. Due to a myriad of unspecified family troubles, neither Zhang Diang nor his siblings ever succeeded in establishing their own families. And so he had no offspring. Hmm. All he had at the test were kind of weird villagers that wanted to see what's going on at the mock funeral. How disappointing it, when you show up, I mean, when you go to your funeral. And what if no one was there?
2: That'd be sad. Yeah. I, I <laughs> <laughs> Just you. So would you want to know? Well, I wouldn't want to know that. I want to die pretending like I'm. You changed. You, you made some impact bomb. on somebody. Somebody is going to miss you.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Poor guy. Well, forty people. That's good. None yeah. of them really family. No, because they've had issues. But he also didn't have much family to speak of. Right. You got to put some work in to have some family. So that's yeah. kind of on him. I have a that's feeling at my funeral I wouldn't get a lot of coworkers.
1: Hmm. Just because they, you know, they got to work. Yeah,
7: I think it depends on the day of the week it is.
1: Oh, I would probably plan my funeral to be a
2: weekend so I could ruin a weekend of all my coworkers. Keep me on cold storage Saturday, (laughs) 6 o'clock. 6 o'clock. Just we ruin the evening of Saturday.
1: No, we've talked about this before about burying people standing up. Mm. Because China is running out of space
2: to bury people. But is that weird? It it wouldn't be weird to like – I don't – I don't – think of it. In, instead of lowering the casket slowly and you just sort of drop it in the hole. <laughs> straight it. But wouldn't you rather – like I personally want my casket up on its end so
1: I'm standing because that's how people have seen me. I want to be reclined so I'm comfortable. Do you? Yeah. Just sort of at an angle. Well, I'm looking like, at it – yeah. I'm uh, I'm looking at it this way. Oh. No one's going to see you when you're reclined forever. So I'd rather that they remember me the way they knew me, upright. Hmm. So they either need to put me in a chair. I see you sitting all day long.
2: I know, you but, sit but, uh, here. No, but I no but I'm upright. Then you sit in your office?
1: Yeah, but if, so watch this. If I was they,
7: they could probably mummify you in the sitting position. Ooh, yeah, exactly.
1: But Just... if I was reclined, if you walked into my office and I was reclined, you would be that would weird you out. Like what are you doing there, Matt? Just reclining. You
2: seem relaxed to me.
1: So I don't want their last memory to be of me. Flat on my back, so hard at work. I want to be. I want to be. I want my casket tipped on its end, hmm. just a slight lean. So I'm leaning
2: back in the casket. Why don't they just put you in an office chair? Or just put you just in the ground. That'd be great. Yeah. I don't know if you could. I you'd
1: need a special casket, I guess.
2: Well, you don't need a casket.
1: Just a chair. A casket is more for your family. They could just. They could just duct tape me to a chair.
2: <laughs> yeah. You know, there I you go. I mean, duct tape's pretty cheap. You probably about spend $100 if you want to kind of well, step up on an office chair. You can get that colored. You can get, like, camo
1: duct tape. You can get different colors. Oh, yeah. Be really representative. But of... I, I am. I'm going to be I'm going to be upright. I don't want – I want them to be able to see me, and I want – I'm going to, like, have my fingers pointed. Kind of like little, little guns? Little guns.
2: Hey, <laughs> hey, hey, getting you here. Yeah. Getting the work done. That's Matt.
1: And I want a cowboy hat. I
2: don't know why. Um, That's kind of weird Yeah Don't know how we got there So you stage your own funeral mm-hmm. 40 people show up for this guy He felt pretty good about
1: it hmm.
2: Okay. Nothing wrong with that I just want people to say nice things Well, And you. not lie about it
1: Am I speaking at your funeral? Have you figured that out yet?
2: No, I don't really have those plans set I'll do it I figure at this point other people will take care of it if it happens I'm not really expecting, looking forward to it <laughs> Yeah. Later on down the roads when you have that sort of weird moment where you sit at the kitchen table and you plan your funeral. Yeah. Oh, I've already planned mine.
1: Really? Oh, yeah. All right. I want I want bagpipes. Nice. I want like a 21 gun salute.
2: It's the best kind. Probably yeah. a flyby. I want a flyby. Never served in the military, but I want all of that. A flyby would be nice.
1: And I want I want my pallbearers to be wearing kilts. You're not Irish. I got a little Irish and a little Scottish in me.
2: I think everybody does at some level.
1: (laughs) I got very little. Um, Anyway, that's, uh, and I have about 45 songs I want played. Oh, wow. It's going to be a long song. So it's the Matt Townsend funeral, the musical. Mm -hmm. And
7: two reenactments. Nice. Probably more like an Earth, Wind, and Fire concert. absolutely.
1: A lot of fringe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's going to be great, though. It's going to be like an eight-hour day.
2: You're just going to monopolize the entire day. We'll have food trucks in the parking lot.
1: You could probably like have it go over Friday and Saturday to oh. ruin both days. Ooh, a week. Well, I wouldn't say ruin. You mean to celebrate, to continue the celebration to two days. A
2: destination funeral. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Done. That's good. You've heard of destination weddings, right? Yeah, absolutely. The problem with those is... you. Then there comes that awkward conversation of who pays for the travel. Oh, they will. It's like a
1: destination wedding. Um, one other thing that I, is one of my wishes, I don't know how they'll figure it out, but I want to be buried
2: at sea. <laughs> really?
7: And I while live, while I, sitting in a desk chair?
2: Yeah. Okay. What about in a local lake? No, sea. Oh, okay. So I don't know. It's up to them. But I, I want, hope
1: you don't
7: mean
2: Utah Lake. No. <laughs> we got we have several different options in the area. There's some guy finds me floating
1: in a desk chair in the lake. <laughs> no. <laughs> Anyway, let's change the subject, get to the headlines. Terry, anything going on around the world we need to worry about other than my funeral?
2: Thanks, Matt. Former presidential candidate Mitt Romney lambasted Republican presidential frontrunner Donald Trump as a phony during his Thursday morning speech. The former Massachusetts governor argued that Trump's campaign promises are as worthless as a degree from Trump University, which has been under investigation for fraud. Trump hit Romney or Romney hit Trump on accepting praise from Russian President Vladimir Putin and called and also calling George W. Bush a liar.
0: And let me put it very plainly, if we Republicans choose Donald Trump as our nominee, the prospects for a safe and prosperous future are greatly diminished. Let me explain why I say that. Donald Trump says he admires Vladimir Putin at the same time he's called George W. Bush a liar. That is a twisted example of evil
2: trumping good. He suggested the frontrunner is playing the American public for suckers and has neither the temperament nor the judgment to be president. Some of those comments carried on to the debate last night, which had its own sort of sideshow circus sort of feel at times. Oh, yeah. So, interesting. Also known as the GOP race. As it continues on. The February job numbers came in stronger than expected on Friday. Employers added 242,000 jobs last month above the 200,000 or so that the analysts were expecting and way above the revised figure of 172,000 in January the unemployment rate meanwhile remained at 4.9% one not so bright spot a slight rise a slight rise was expected but didn't happen average hourly wages dropped 3 cents to 25.35 an hour i guess that's no news and there's your jobs numbers for Good. the moment the ultimate job security it seems comes from working for the us government As one Government Accountability Office report found, it can take six months to a year and sometimes significantly longer to dismiss an employee, with the average timeline of 243 days in 2013. So once they start the firing process to the point where the, the, the person is now not working for the U.S. government, 243 days. Well, that's amazing because, you know, we've tried a lot longer with Ben. Right. Yeah. Apparently, there's a a, a similar issue with academic institutions, too. Yeah. Yeah. We've
7: we've tried at least a year. I think it's like the charitable uh, donation part of the church. Mm. Um,
1: That's what the – Hey, Ben, don't talk about your own dismissal. It's kind of on the air. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Just just let it go. It's
7: it's just been happening for so long. I'm comfortable with it. I
2: didn't even know you knew about it. (laughs) If the firing in the fed- with this federal employee, if it occurs at all, a federal worker's chances of being fired is a given in a given year is just one in five hundred. That's like firing somebody in the in
1: in Europe. Yes, like it takes years and literally an act of government There's
2: meetings and process and documents. <sighs> and it just takes forever. That's happening among the many efforts. This is another uh, jobs related. Story Mm. here. Among the many efforts by Governor Rick Snyder of Michigan to confront the horrific revelations about his administration's inability to deal with the Flint water crisis, including the hiring of two outside PR firms and the shakeup within his internal communications team, the announcement by Snyder Thursday may be the most misguided response as of yet. Snyder trumpeted the plans to hire 81 Flint residents for temporary jobs to distribute bottled water to the city residents. He talked about, look, we're making jobs. There's 81 new jobs in Flint. Sure. That's a great idea. He's a jobs-creating governor. Don't look at the (laughs) carnage of the bad water. Look at the fact that we're bringing jobs to Flint. Once hired, the governor's PR team declared participants will fill leadership and general team member roles. They're temporary. Hmm. They're handing out water, but... Yeah. Well, they're trying. His jobs plan is... More lead contamination so we can hire more temporary if employees. If we contaminate the entire <laughs> state, we could employ thousands of people. Well, there you go. They'll turn the turn the jobs crisis yeah, around. Yeah, that's crazy. That's not good. An American Airlines flight attendant who allegedly set an airplane bathroom on fire has been arrested by the FBI. The 23-year-old Texan uh, Texas flight attendant, Jonathan Tofoya montano was en route to Detroit when he reportedly played the part of Hero after the blaze began. He eventually admitted that he set the fire to the bathroom's uh, paper towels by using a lighter, and then he put the fire out once it gained intensity. According to court documents, after he put out the fire, he stood in the hallway and then pretended to discover it, using a fire extinguisher for dramatic effect. The plane emergency landed in a Detroit airport afterwards. No injury were reported, but he wanted to be a hero, apparently, and no one believes him because he lit it on fire himself. But the video... (laughs) Looked great. That was great. He's a
1: he tried well, effort. There was effort a for thing. effort. I mean, that's what we care about on the show. If you're going to be a pyromaniac, by golly, put your whole heart into it. <laughs> that is crazy. All right, folks, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll be joined by Dr. Lori uh, Shemek, who is going to be talking to us about how to get your brain to actually do something right. Um, have you ever, you know, said, okay, I'm going to do this thing and you, you never do it. You, you say you're going to do it and you never do it. Well, there might be more to it than just saying you're going to make something happen or or take this one action. You might need to to try another way to get things to happen in your world. And maybe you don't need to just commit to it. Maybe you actually need to find some emotional connection to it. It's an interesting way to rewire your brain for success. Stick with us, folks. Uh, I think it's going to help you a lot. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you find the good in the world. Stick with us. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. A little cats for you. Ah, cats. This song, by the way, when you're watching uh, YouTube, and you just see a cat perched up on a windowsill, just licking itself. (sighs) Anyway, oh, see, right there. I need to rewire my brain. Just got carried away. Hey, we, uh, we wanted to bring on our next guest. Dr. Lori Shemek is joining us because, you know, every one of us has a time in our lives where we, we think we want to do something and we don't seem to ever follow through on it. Or a time, for example, where we may have messed something up, like a presentation, let's say, in front of our class in eighth grade civics. And, you know, you, you blew it. You just blew it. And everybody looked at you like, oh, man, what a loser. Or how about that time that, uh, you know, you, you maybe were embarrassed because of something you did. You you not only blew it, but you blew it so publicly with your, you know, in front of your student body in high school. Well, our memories are a big part of what memories from years ago can become a big part of what we end up doing day in and day out today of how I go about doing things of maybe some reasons why I'm not motivated to maybe make a call that is so important to my work life or uh, why I'm not willing to step up and do something that's hard. And the problem is, I don't even know why I'm not doing it today. But it might be connected to other reasons or other parts of my history. Our guest today, Dr. Lori Shemick, Um, is live from Texas and Dallas, and she's talking to us about an article she wrote, How to Easily Rewire Your Brain for Success with One Simple Action. She's here now to help us uh, make our way through our past and our problems and get some success going today. Dr. Lori Shemek, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show.
6: Well, thank you, Matt. It's great to be on.
1: You bet. Great to have you. This is a big issue, isn't it, where sometimes just some subtle hidden issue keeps us from progressing today.
6: It absolutely is. It's a, it's a huge issue because many people often wonder and are frustrated, why can't I move forward? Why am I not succeeding? And most of the memories that we have as we're growing up, for example, are filed in our subconscious. And as you mentioned, if you blew it in front of the class, well, that gets filed in the I'm-not-so-great File right. okay, in the brain. And then, if you got an A, for example, on your uh, report, then that gets filed in the I'm um, good uh, file in your brain. So you store this memory and then and they, they compile, and then eventually you begin to perceive what you've stored. And this is all subconscious. So these not so great files unfortunately tend to have uh, a great impact on many people. Hmm. So it's multiple compounded experiences or in some cases even a, just a single event or experience. Well
1: one that, single event could then cause mm-hmm. multiple other fears and insecurities that that then become compounding.
6: Right. Yeah. And so Um, this leads us to believe uh, uh, how we perceive ourselves, what we believe about ourselves, um, how effective we are, and how motivated we really are in life, and what we hold true about us. Hmm. So our attitudes and our actions now are all heavily influenced by our past behaviors and our memories. So our attitude And our behavior, actually, are the key components to our success.
1: And so if somebody's sitting there and they – just anybody driving around today and listening to the show, if they're thinking of something that they just don't move forward on, they know they should, they know they need to, they've got 500 reasons to, but they don't, is that a sign that they may have some hang-up from the past?
6: It is. It is. Because remember, why – do we have these beliefs about ourselves?
1: Yeah, they're they're coming from somewhere.
6: They're coming from somewhere, and they're they're all subjective. They may not be true to somebody else, but in our minds, they are. So it's really a matter of rewiring, if you will, the way we think about ourselves, the way we perceive certain situations. And, in fact, you can actually change your memories. Hmm. and make them benefit.
1: That's amazing. So you can rewrite, you can change. I mean, by the way, the memory is not even probably complete, is it? It, And it doesn't matter because my memory could be a memory of a four-year-old that only had one choice, but now I'm an adult that has 50.
6: Exactly. That's a very good point. So you remember the telephone game where people take turns, you know, you whisper a message into the ear of the next person in line, and then by the last person... Uh, The that person speaks out the message out loud. Yeah That by the time that person gets that message that that message has radically changed, right? So it's been altered with each retelling and it turns out that our memory is a lot like that telephone game
3: Hmm.
6: we we think our memories are intact and impeccable but in fact they are not every time that we um, retrieve a memory it becomes less precise, and they found this through research.
1: Wow. And I guess that's important to think of because your, your memory is not there to make you become a great public speaker. Your memory is there to make sure you don't die.
6: Exactly. It's a protective right. function. So yeah. even if it
1: doesn't protect you with exact preciseness, I mean, even if it doesn't keep your stories precise and exact and fully uh, ripe and rich with data that are accurate, if it doesn't kill you, it worked.
6: Exactly, and so uh, our memories really—if they, they, they serve a purpose, they keep us alive, <laughs> for example. But um, but our, but we decide our brain decides what's what's useful and what mm-hmm. isn't useful. You know the, the but the problem is every time we retrieve that memory, it gets altered. In the same way, for example, our cells when they replicate, they divide. Yeah, they aren't replicated perfectly. They change a little bit. Every time, and thus you have aging and ill health down the road, but the the same is true as uh, retrieving a memory. it becomes less efficient and um, impeccable, if you will.
1: hm that's a that's an interesting way to to look at it and and so some of these memories, you may not even actually retain the memory. you just rem you retained versions. 500 versions later of the original memory or thought.
6: Right, like the fish story mm-hmm. your uncle keeps telling, right? It yeah, bigger, bigger and bigger. Fish. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> so such a... Once you start questioning the reality of a memory, things fall apart actually pretty quickly. So many of our assumptions about the human mind, what it is, why it breaks, and, and how things can be healed, are rooted in a mistaken belief about how experience is stored in the brain. So uh, there was a recent survey that showed that 63% of Americans believe that their human memory works just like a video camera, you know, um, recording Mm -hmm. precisely the events that we see, the the things that we hear in detail. And so, yes, we want the past to persist uh, because uh, obviously it gives us meaning and, and permanence, but it also tells us who we are and where we belong and the the kicker is is that n- nobody wants to hear that their memories are uh, not perfect right and that's the problem but they're not and uh, so the good news is though that if they're not so perfect the ones that you don't want to be um, then that you want to be better and empowering then you can change those you can edit those memories in fact
1: hmm. That, that is huge, and that's one reason, I guess, why I, when, we're, when we're in a relationship and we're, we're arguing about something that happened in the past, it's just memory matching. It's two people matching memories that weren't the same, and yet there's hope because we could turn it into something better. We can take these memories that aren't perfect and rewrite them into something that serves us better.
6: Exactly, and you know the the eyewitness accounts if five people are standing there and they all witness the same crime, mm-hmm. nobody perceives or has the same memory. There are always details that are different with every person.
1: Right, and and some of those may not have even existed.
6: Right, exactly. That's a very good point, and in fact, research has shown that when people retrieve their memories, they did a study with nine eleven, 11 and um, they showed that um, they actually surveyed hundreds of people, okay, about the, their memories of that awful day, and the scientists repeated the surveys at one year out. So the only way, by the way, to keep an accurate account of your memories is to actually write it down immediately. So okay. That it's written down. But so these scientists did this in this uh, experiment. At one year out, they surveyed them again. 37% of the details changed, by 2004 that number was approaching 50%. Wow. And so, you know, some changes were innocuous and some people even altered where they were when the fa- when the towers fell. So that's how things can change.
1: Man. Yeah, but it makes sense and so mm-hmm. think of if you've been telling a story for 10, 20 years, it's you're just lying. You're just a big yeah. liar. <laughs>
6: And it goes to, you know, when with people who are chronic liars start believing their own stories, you mm-hmm. know, so over and over, the act of repeating a memory seems to corrupt its content.
1: Okay. So what does this have to do with me not doing, you know, calling a client that I need to call and I, I just got a call or, you know, doing something in my life that needs to be done?
6: Well, it's about going back to the memories that we have that are subconscious now, okay? So the subconscious memories have a grasp upon how we interact with the world, how we perceive the world, who we are within the world. And so if there are memories that you have that you know are huge players, for example, if you were traumatized as a child, there were situations within the family that were challenging and difficult for you, uh, violent perhaps, you can go back and you can actually edit those memories to Hmm. benefit you so that they have a more positive outcome, that you then can change the outcome of what happened to you. They've been doing this with um, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, victims and it's working remarkably well so what they're doing is they're having these patients go back in time to the event and, and talk about it actually and think about it and visualize it in a way that is not harmful to them and it's, it's had tremendous success the people yeah, are, are, are actually uh, creating different lives, having better quality lives
1: I mean, I guess you could even just look at the story not through the victim, being a victim, um, but maybe look at the story through another lens.
6: That's excellent. Yes, exactly. Taking control. Right. Having a sense of empowerment, knowing that you have the ability to edit uh, things that happened in your past. If it happens naturally, we can make it happen intentionally. Hmm. They actually have created a, a, um, a pill, if you will, that has only been experimented on with rats. But what they've determined is that um, when we retrieve a memory, certain proteins are, um, are triggered, okay? Mm-hmm. And it, it happens right at the time <clears throat> of the event. So what they did was they took the rats, um, and they unfortunately uh, gave them electrical shocks. Okay. Yeah. And at the same time of the shock, they they had a very loud noise that startled them. So what they decided was that at they eventually they took away the um, the shock, and then they had the loud noise. Okay, it scared the rat. Yeah. It, it, it created a frozen. uh, In time, if you will, they would just stop. And what they did at the time of the loud noise, they injected specific proteins that erase the memory of the electric shock. And they weren't afraid anymore.
3: Hmm.
6: And it was interesting. So they actually are working on this with humans where they can inject proteins that will help erase specific memories. And it sounds rather sci-fi, but they've actually done it with rats.
1: Oh, wow. But think of how that could help some of these soldiers coming back from war uh, with PTSD. I mean, this is powerful. Yeah. Yeah.
6: So it's these sets of proteins that happen every time we um, are in the act of remembering. But it has to – so in the case of the rats, it has to be done right then and there
1: let's let's take a break lori we're speaking with dr lori Shemick. if you go to her website drlorishemic.com uh, she's a best selling author a radio show host and she's uh, giving us some insight information into how we can rewire our brain actually re- rewrite our stories um, powerful stuff that uh, i think i think it's it, I, it can help can't it think about your ability to go back and turn something from the past into a healthier direction for you today. Uh, we, that way we, we're not determined to have to keep being the same way. We can change ourselves by changing some of our thoughts. We'll take a break. We'll come back be focusing on the, the rewriting of the story, how we go about doing that with Dr. Lori Shemick. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. How to rewire your brain? How to move on from some of those past uh, situations? Those some of those traumatic events that may still be playing out on you today, and a lot of them are subtle, right? So it could just be something as simple as why won't you just go have that conversation with your spouse? It might you know you might be avoiding conflict, and the conflict may have started when you were younger. And ever since then, and you may not even tie it exactly to that, some event in your past, but if you're not able to move forward on certain things, that inability to do something might be telling you that we need to, to reevaluate our, our thinking, maybe rewire our brain a little bit. Our guest today, Dr. Lori Shemek, uh is a, um, a, an author and an expert in, um, in helping people learn to, to kind of make change happen in their lives. She's here today to talk to us about her article, How to Easily Rewire Your Brain for Success with One Simple Action. And uh, Dr. Lori Shemek, welcome back to the show.
6: Well, thank you. It's good to be here.
1: You bet. What would you say? What is that one simple action then?
6: So it's, it's going back and telling a new story, okay? It's rewriting a story. And we humans are hardwired, essentially, to tell stories. We've been writing, you know, uh, stories on, with pictures on cave walls. We love stories. And the reason we do is because it ties emotion to it. It has meaning to us, hmm. okay? Um, it's that powerful connection between storytelling with emotion that changes the old story that we have in our heads.
1: So once you tie an emotion to it, you can actually re-energize the memory to a different emotion?
6: Absolutely. So if you, no matter what you do, if you tie emotion to it, and obviously we want to change something negative to positive if right? Right. If you're, you're doing this. So you want positive injected powerfully in terms of emotion into the storyline, okay? Yeah. So if you go back and say that um, you you didn't do so well on uh, a presentation in front of your class. Then you go back and you do great. You do outstanding. And you're effective. And your classmates are applauding you and saying, wow, I really got a lot from that. And believe it. Believe it. And you keep repeating it. And the more you repeat this, the more changes happen within the brain, okay? And what you're doing is that you're rewiring your brain. And essentially neurons that fire together, they actually wire together. Hmm. So what you're doing is you're creating a neuronal path. It's like uh, a grass path, if you will. If you walk into a field or a grassy patch that's never been touched, you bend the grass over the first tread through. If you keep doing this, the path gets more open. It becomes more visible, and then eventually, you have actually created a groove. Okay, and this is what is happening with the retelling, with of stories, with visual, with auditory, with emotion, with uh, tactile senses. You every sense you can inject in there. You must and. The other thing is that if you want it to be positive and bright in your life, make it that way. Make it bright and large, sunshiny. Research shows that the larger the image in your mind, the closer it is, the brighter it is. The more effective it is in terms of changing it, and the same is true as if you don't want a memory, you want to get rid of that old memory, diminish it, make it small, pinpoint, kick it to the curb, and make it black and white, no color, no shininess, no sparkle, and dim it.
1: And you make Cause... it that way by just thinking it that way. So I just right. I think it's the just... bad memory smaller.
6: Exactly, very very small, minuscule. And you repeat this, and the repetition is what is key here because, rep- like I mentioned, it's a neuronal change, and so your your neuronal connections are changing. Your memory, you're editing your memory, you're changing it, and it sounds like, oh, yeah, right, you know, but it does have a marked effect upon how you perceive yourself subconsciously. So it has to be done repeatedly and consistently.
1: Well, but doesn't your brain care if it's true? For example, so if I went and did a speech as a child that, mm-hmm. and I blew it and I was humiliated and mm-hmm. whatever, um, so then I go rethink it, that I didn't blow it, I nailed it, I nailed it, I nailed it, should I be thinking of trying to rewrite the one where I blew it or should I be thinking of a new one? where I killed it and knocked it out of the park?
6: Both. Okay. So you want to, yeah, minimize the, yeah. the one where it, you blew it, and then, and then brighten and enlarge mm. and tell the story how you want it to be, with emotion. And that's the key. Because, really, thoughts, our beliefs, are really just thoughts, okay? Uh, they're, they're thoughts that we have lived with and believe for, for most of our life. Our beliefs are how we were raised, what we care about, they're really thoughts. And yeah. when you get into neuroscience, you can see how uh, it's your, your, your self-confidence can change just by changing how you think about yourself in a positive light. The, I would say that it is more important to be consistent about this than anything. So if you're consistent about it and you do it, Mm-hmm. Because it will it does take effort to do it. Things will change for you.
1: Well, yeah, I, I guess that just shows you, too, that your mind is your it's your tool. It's not your master. You you have you, I, like I believe we're agents, right, of change. And mm-hmm. if I take on the role of being an agent, even of my own brain, then I, and I consistently do it, like you say, I can make things be what I want them to be.
6: Exactly. And that is, it goes back to your point of having a sense of control mm-hmm. in the outcome of your life. And, and this really does work because people who are confident about what they're doing are typically successful in their lives. And you can look at people who are in the limelight that are very confident and how you use them as examples of looking to see. Well, yeah. Look how confident they are, and how successful they are. They tied the two together. Confident people also are not negative people, typically. Yeah. They're they're usually very positive, and they all all of this goes hand in hand with changing your life story.
1: And, and so, take the, uh, the the things you want to become, the ideal kind of. Uh, the ideal person you want to be, embellish it, make it bigger in your mind, maybe mm-hmm. more detailed, more vivid in color, vivid in detail. In, I mean, make it sensory so it's multi-sensory. And just by exploring that in our head, you're not just daydreaming, you're saying. No. You're You're actually creating a kind of a subconscious script that can then play that could eventually help you become what you want to become.
6: Exactly. And again, it's subconscious as well. Yeah. So you're changing the the old tapes that you've been telling yourself, I'm not good at this, I'm terrible, I'm not that attractive, I'm uh, not that intelligent, and, you know, the list goes on. that was the things that we tell ourselves. But if you tell yourself every day and you visualize it, you inject emotion in it, eventually you will believe it. Yeah. But these little, these little messages to the brain, if you do it every day, change the way you perceive yourself. And then mm. your life changes.
1: Oh, yeah. And then, yeah, then all of a sudden, I mean, d- even just doing it a little bit, you'd be less afraid of that phone call.
6: Exactly. Exactly. Or, or that
1: conversation or whatever. Oh, this is fascinating. And right. wh- where can we find out more of this? If we go to your website, is that, is that the best resource to find your work and your coaching?
6: It is. I am uh at doctor dot com is where uh, you can find me. Uh my books I have two books uh, out, Fire Up Your Fat Burn and my second book was released with Harper Collins uh recently called How to Fight Fat Flammation. Mm. And um you can find those there. You can find me on Facebook and on Twitter as Lori Shemick.
1: Good stuff, Doctor Lori Shemick, Thank you so much for your thank time you. and this thank great insight.
6: Thank you for having me.
1: You bet, uh, man! Isn't it amazing? Just and again, it, it'll it can work. It's just think of the consistency. You got to be in your head, working the thought, and and you can go practice now. Just take the history, the the painful history, and shrink it like. Literally, in your brain, make it smaller. Rewrite it. Make it crazy. Make it funny. Add things to it. Um, I found just simply helping people reframe the issue where they're not the victim anymore, but they're, you know, they're just a child. You don't have to play the victim in every time you've been victimized. You sometimes can just move on. No, it's hard. But uh, if you also argue for how hard it is, then it stays hard. If you argue for how easy you can do this, it also can become easier. Make the case, folks, and you'll make your future. We'll take a break, come back, uh, wrap up this second hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us, folks, helping you see the good in the world. We'll be right back. Back, friends, to the Matt Townsend show. The mind is a powerful thing, folks. No matter what your age, it's a powerful thing. If you think about it, I mean, I'm not a big, I'm not a big believer of the secret. The secret. If you put it out there, it will happen. I, uh, I, I, I like it. I mean, I like that principle. That's a neat idea. Um, but I think there's other principles at play. For example. You have to do more than just put the idea out there into the ether that I want to be a millionaire. I want to be a millionaire. I worked for Bruno Mars. Yeah. But Bruno probably did other things like he sang a lot. He danced a lot. He wrote a song. He found somebody to produce it. They sold the record. So it's one thing to project what you want. It's another thing. To actually do what our last guest was telling us to do, which is in your head, shrink the negative thought in your memory. Really, like, I really can't be a singer. I blew it that one gig. Take that one gig, shrink it, and put it in its place. She says make it black and white. Take the idea of you getting another gig right back at the same place, but you blow it out of the park. And people are going crazy. Then all of a sudden, you grow that idea and you think that idea. And then when that little crazy negative thought comes back in, take it again, shrink it, put it in its place, get the bigger thought out, imagine it, and you'll see. Right then, you will feel better. You'll feel better. And the more you do this, you're going to create a habit. It's, it's just life, folks. Um, I got to tell you this story because this is just cool, 101. 81-year-old woman. Uh, police say a Pennsylvania woman chased down robbers who stole her purse then she <laughs> she rammed them with their with uh, their car with her car and left damaged Wow is that you Ben? No no, I think a that that lady that was her. We have sound from the accident let 's hear that one more time this eighty one year old lady rammed. The car of the people that stole her purse. The woman was sitting in her car in a Mount Pocono driveway on Tuesday when she was approached by a man and a woman. As she talked to them through an open window, one grabbed her purse and they fled in a car. Pocono Mountain Regional Police said the woman then took off after them and hit their car, but the duo drove off. Officers found the suspect's damaged car in a grocery store parking lot, 34-year-old William Hayhurst and 30-year-old Aaron Van Maitrie were arrested and arraigned on robbery charges.
7: I think this the sound also shows that, that she hit a person on the way. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just speculation. Yeah. Well, it but, must be
1: because that's that must all be alleged because yeah. that is actually not in the police story.
7: Allegedly, she hit a person as she rammed the other car.
1: <laughs> police say the, the suspects targeted the woman after seeing her with cash at the pharmacy. Know what I mean? 81-year-old woman said, I'm not going to be a victim to anybody. Chases him down. Bam! I love uh It's just that perfect scene. She, this lady's more insured than they are. So she, she'll take him right on. Anyway, cool stuff. Uh, dangerous, too, by the way. Probably better just call the cops. Anyway, we'll take a break, folks. That's hour number two of the show. Stick with us. It's the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back.
6: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Your guide on the side.
6: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter
0: at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show
6: at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio.
1: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt, yeah, it's Friday. Woo! Friday. He made it another week. Yeah. That's so great. It's a good day. A great day. Any day that you're alive. Sh- better than the alternative. Should yes. be a great day. Right. You know, because, yeah, it could go either way. We uh, we talked earlier about the debate about the Romney, uh, you know. The
2: Romney Manifesto? Yeah, ish. Did you call it that, ish? The, the speech. It was kind of an odd speech a
1: but it was, I think. I think for many, it needed to be said. And even if it's just the catalyst to get Donald to to straighten up, that'd be good. I think it's he's a really interesting fellow because sometimes he turns into the nicest guy, and everyone says he's a
2: really nice guy. There's been a trend after uh, what was it Iowa? Yeah, he was very contrite. He congratulated Ted Cruz on his win. He didn't – he wasn't bombastic. He didn't come after people. He was very just cordial and and everyone's like, what's going on? And then after Super Tuesday, more of the same. He congratulated people on – I think when he gets tired, he gets nicer. You just got to wear him out. Later at night, if you catch him at the right time, Mm, he might (laughs) turn into a presidential candidate. He might – maybe we'll start having more press
1: conferences about 10 p.m. if he were president. Maybe that's his golden hour. Maybe he's the cocktail him. hour president. Could be. Start the
2: day about 6 p.m. <laughs> to have a kinder, gentler Donald. Because you hit him in the afternoon at an airport, which is most of his. Yeah. He, he likes to monopolize the plane. Look, I have a plane. I really think he's he's, he's just he's really a, loud. He's a marketer
1: and he knows how to market, which is some of them are calling, you know, calling that phony. But this is just marketing. And – how much of, of a presidential run is marketing? It's all marketing. It's all marketing, except except the politician has pretended that it's not. Mm-hmm. They would pretend it's principles, except they change – some of them will change their principles depending on it, what will get them elected. Flexible. Flex – they call them fleximples. Flexible principles. Anyway, Don's got a different – I really think he's held to a completely different standard. He is. In everything because he's – He's already known to have problems,
2: and he's a business person. But if he gets up there and does anything different than what he did on his TV show, people would say he's being fake. Right. So he's just being who he is, and everyone else is trying to be a politician. Isn't it true that you ran that lady over in your limousine?
1: Look, I didn't see a lady. My driver said we didn't hit anybody. There's a lot of people screaming in the streets of New York. (laughs) It wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter what happened. Like he said, I could shoot somebody. It wouldn't matter. And the mere fact that he actually said that shows it doesn't matter.
2: No. But apparently it didn't admit. Then people cheered. They're like, yeah. "Yeah."
1: Yay, shoot somebody. (laughs) They're all going crazy. Shoot me, Donald. Shoot me. (laughs) Okay. It's crazy. And I think that's what Mitt's saying is – Great! It's fun. It makes good TV. He's in, he, He's in, his ratings are incredible. I love it when he. I love it when he tells like a, a news person, "Just trust me. Trust me. Just trust me on that."
2: I'll but, get it taken care of. Yeah. Don't worry.
1: I mean, in business, you can just say that. Oh, okay. I will trust you. But that's. I think Mitt's just saying, "Careful, your president can't just schmooze everybody."
2: Maybe there, he can. We'll, well see. A,
1: there, well, was, there was a great line Mitt had that was basically, you can't give real power. Be careful because his – I don't know what words he used. but It was like his lack of integrity should not be given real authority or power. Hmm. I can't remember. It was a great phrase. Something to that effect. But it's, it's kind of true. And by the way, it doesn't make him more trustworthy or less trustworthy than the rest of them. It's just that the rest of them play in a system, Mm -hmm. and the system, a lot of people hate. But the system also keeps some order. Yes. Because there's still a check and a balance within the system. Donald has no
2: checks, no balance, no system. I was talking about this with some of our producers, the idea that you have two senators and a governor. Yeah. Right? They all – operate with certain sort of rules when you go to the the senate floor there's a code of decorum right this is how we act this This is how we discuss things this is how we present bills we don't talk about this Right. Publicly, There's certain things you don't go to. The governor's office in Ohio, probably the same way. There's yeah. a certain way you carry yourself. You go to the debate stage. They bring that experience with them. Trump shows up and does whatever he wants <laughs> and blows up the, 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 the dynamic of whatever their, the other candidates are trying to do. The first debate, if you go back and watch it, the confusion on the face of everybody else out oh, there, yeah. not knowing what Trump <laughs> is doing. What? Now they're starting to get it. Rubio is starting to kind of hit back with some of the same kind of tactics. But uh, it's like it's like a bunch of kids, really. And it's like, oh, you know, when
1: one, they're all on a playground and one kid throws a rock and they're all like, oh, we're not supposed to do that. Yeah. And he's like, well, I don't care. I'm throwing rocks. And he just keeps throwing rocks. Then the others start picking up rocks. And right when Rubio picks up a rock and throws it, everyone's like, hey, put that rock down. And Rubio gets in trouble. Ted Cruz gets in trouble. Yeah. Everyone gets in trouble. But the Don and Trump's over there like, I don't know. He's like broken 12 windows. Yeah. And it's. It's crazy. It reminds me. Did you hear about this boxing champ? A guy goes in to rob a pharmacy. I mean, I'm just going to rob a pharmacy. Right. The robber runs in. Didn't realize he was get going to be getting in a tussle in the pharmacy. But uh, he went in there and he, he, uh, a guy named David West was visiting his girlfriend on Valentine's Day at Walgreens in Bradenton, Florida. And he had stopped by to see if she wanted something for lunch. And right then a robber walked in and she said, Subway... And he said right after that, this guy comes around the counter demanding pain medicine from his wife, I guess, who was working there, his girlfriend. Um, and bada-boom, bada-bing, guess what happened? The guy's a boxer. <laughs> Round one. <laughs> <laughs> and four punches later, the robber
2: done. Out cold. Out cold. Bam, on, yeah. There's a, there's a video attached and he just drops them. He,
1: re- he reaches in his pocket, fiddling with his hands, went to reach into his pants, and he said th- this guy said, that's when I reacted. And it was about four punches, I guess. Four, a little tussle. Boom, boom, boom. That's the Trumpster. Yeah. All these guys run in thinking they're going get to get the election, and then all of a sudden they run into a boxer. Oh, I didn't know we were boxing. I brought a gun.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, try to get it out of your pocket, pal. There you go. Who cares? It's Friday. But Trump makes it fun because I remember at this point during last elections, I really didn't care. It was kind of boring to watch the the debates. You had people just arguing policy. And for for me, this this kind of makes it kind of interesting because what's he going to do? That's why people are tuning in. What did you love, Timmy?
1: What did you love most about your drive from California? Well, we saw a 40-car (laughs) pileup. That was fun. But we're all like bystanders watching a pileup. Ooh, did anybody die? Is there carnage? It's like the Joker. The Joker in the Batman movie makes the movie really fun. He does. Without the Joker, it's just Batman. Yeah. But, you know, it's deadly. (laughs) It's deadly, Mitt would say. Hey, um... Today we're going to be talking with Rod Gustafson about some of the upcoming releases, the movies that are coming out. Do a quick uh, movie review with him. We'll also be meeting the producers, Caitlin and Leanna. Will be in. They're going to uh, be talking to us. Um, I think about student loans. Yes, student college debt. debt. Yeah, I'm going to give them some ideas on how to stay out of debt. Hmm. Get you know. I gave them mine.
2: What was yours? Get somebody else to pay for your college. Yeah. Get married. Find somebody that really wants you to be... No, I got a major corporation to to fund my college for me. Wow. That's really cool. I got a job that that was a perk, and I'm like, oh, look at that. They've got great
1: insights. So we'll we'll get to them. Uh, But first, let's get to Terry South, find out what's going on in the
2: rest of the world. Terry? The final question at the Fox News debate Thursday night was whether Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz, and John Kasich would pledge support... That pledged to support the eventual Republican presidential nominee, if that is, Donald Trump. Sometimes he makes it a little bit hard, but, uh, you know, I, I will support whoever is the Republican nominee for president.
0: Senator Cruz, yes or no, you will support Donald Trump if he's the nominee?
4: Yes, because I gave my word that I would.
0: Senator Rubio, yes or no? I'll support the Republican nominee. Mr. Trump, yes or I'll no? I'll support Donald if he's the Republican
2: nominee. Watching people's skin crawl as they Say they're going to support an opponent. Oh, that was weird. (laughs) That was fun. (laughs) The 2016 underdog candidates, all the guys that just spoke there, along with uh, Bernie Sanders, are trying to make gains on the frontrunner Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump this weekend during the first election since Super Tuesday. On Saturday, both parties will hold presidential contests in Kansas and Louisiana. Republicans also vote in Kentucky and Maine. Democrats vote in Nebraska. Elections continue on Sunday. With a main caucus for Democrats and a primary in Puerto Rico for the Republicans. Cool. So then there's the option. It doesn't even end this weekend. Do you quickly jump to Puerto Rico for the weekend if you're a Republican candidate? Well, I would for a
1: vacation, but I don't think it would help you with very many delegates. Probably not. No, Just
2: stick to the mainland. So that's going on. Uh, Google, eBay, and Amazon are among the latest tech heavyweights to rally behind Apple, and it's an encryp- it's encryption battle with the FBI. It is interesting because it's not an encryption battle, but oh. they seem to think it is. Yeah. Encryption would be, let, let's let's just bypass the all the software and open the phone up, mm-hmm. where what they're trying to do is make it easier for them to find the password. Oh. Right? Yeah. So encryption would be, let's bypass all security. Right. They're not saying in? that. They're no. just
1: saying we need... We need to get through the password. I just want to get through.
2: It's a minor, mm-hmm. but it's, 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 a, a it's a thing. Microsoft, Facebook, and Evernote were among 14 major companies that filed a joint amicus brief Thursday, while Twitter, Airbnb, Reddit, and 13 other tech firms filed a separate brief. The companies mm. argued that Apple should not be forced to help unlock an iPhone that belonged to one of the San Bernardino shooters. Earlier Thursday, a group of security experts also filed a brief outlining the risks that developing software for the FBI poses. Other briefs came from WordPress and Automatic as well as Intel. The court also received a brief from Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association as well as relatives of uh, victims of the attack who argue in favor of the government's stance. So everyone's lining up on the side of we support these people. Yeah. And Game on. Friends of court. Briefs, I believe those are called. Good news for those who like peanuts and aren't allergic to them. Mm. That's key. If you're allergic, you probably don't <laughs> like them. St- uh, snacking on them three to four times a week could help lower one's body mass index. Really? Researchers from the University of Houston Baylor. And uh, the Texas Women's University followed 257 Latino adolescents for a six-month period. During that time, about half the group snacked on peanuts or peanut butter right after school three to four times a week. Their counterparts had the same snack less than once a week, and all children received nutrition education and engaged in physical activity. The researchers found the peanut-heavy group reduced their BMI more than twice as much as the other group over the course of the study. And they're attributing it to peanut. Peanuts. Peanuts. Wow! Or peanut butter. Oh, I could do that all day. Just no bread. Oh. You can put it on apples. There you go. Celery. There's other options. Mm -hmm. Twinkies. Bread would not be a good option. I love peanut butter Twinkies. Uh, And finally, a bald man has apparently turned to a life of crime, allegedly stealing Rogaine from multiple stores in Ohio and Kentucky. I need my Rogaine. He is suspected of taking $847 worth of Rogaine and, quote, brain health supplements... From a Walgreens in Ohio, police say he also hit a CVS and two Walgreens in Kentucky. The same man may be responsible for stealing Rogaine from stores in two other cities also. All told, the man is suspected of stealing thousands of dollars worth of hair growth formula and memory supplements. And he only steals those two things when he breaks into the stores. He ought to just, you know,
1: take some peanuts while he's at it. Yeah. Just so
2: they don't know it's the Rogaine guy. You can get your hair back. Grow smarter and lower your BMI in one theft. Just wear a cap.
1: Wear a cap.
2: It'd be funny if he was hiding his mom <sighs> in poor guy. Well,
1: you know, again, information you don't get everywhere. For some reason, <laughs> we'll take a break. Come back when we come back. We'll be talking to Rod Gustafson about uh, upcoming movies, things you got to pay attention to. What uh, what movies are coming out? And from uh, you know a parent's point of view too, stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. It's Friday, which means it's a you know, chance to go uh, find out what uh, new movies are being released. Uh, Rod Gustafson's joining us from parentpreviews.com. He's a film critic specializing in reviewing movies and media from a parent's perspective. If you go to the website parentpreviews.com, you get to see all the latest releases, uh, and, and Rod and his team will uh, will review each, each uh, movie as well as put down or, or write out kind of a Uh, The ins and the outs and insights about each movie and how you can better, you know, manage your media viewing with your family and your kids. It's a powerful tool. Rod, thanks for being with us.
8: Hi, Matt. Thank you.
1: This is um, I think it's a great service you're offering. Parents need to know. Otherwise, we just trust the studios to just do what's right for our kids. You know, I had,
8: my first, I had my first baby. I did it all by myself, Matt. Let me phrase that. After my wife and I had our first child. There you go. Yeah.
1: Get <laughs> that straight.
8: Looking at this differently. And that was many years ago. And I thought, if I'm feeling this way, I bet there are other parents that are as well.
1: You bet. Uh, this, uh, the, one of the movies we're going to review today is Zootopia. Now, what yeah. is that all about? You, first, if,
8: fun, fantastic.
1: Wonderful movie. I'm so happy
8: when we get a good movie that we can tell. Parents, this is one worth going out to the theater to see. Uh, Zootopia is a is Disney's latest release, and uh, this is a movie that takes place in this crazy world called Zootopia. Zootopia is actually a city, and it is a city full of animals, and these are kind of your typical animated movie animals. They all talk. And uh, they all act like humans and they ride subways and they go to work and they (laughs) live in apartment buildings and all of that type of stuff. But what's cool about Zootopia is they have engineered the city as a series of burrows for lack of a better word and i'm not talking about a burrow like a bunny would live in because that could be possible but you know different sections there's a uh they even have them divided into climate zones so there's a rainforest section for the jungle animals and a cold section for the polar animals and a, a savanna section for the african animals really really creative concept in this film hmm. and The movie revolves around uh, this little bunny, and her name is Judith Hopps. And she has grown up in the country with her parents, and they run a little farm there. But she wants to move to the big city because in Zootopia, the mayor of Zootopia claims that anyone can become anything. It doesn't matter if you're big or small that you have all sorts of options of what you can do with your life. So she wants to be uh, a police officer, and she wants to be the first bunny to join the Zootopia police force, which she manages to do. But of course, she gets into the force, and it was such a funny scene—the first day at work, she is surrounded by all of these male and female animals that are huge. There's a big uh, woman elephant and a big rhinoceros guy sitting beside her, and she's this tiny little bunny. And of course, there's a lot of prejudice going on there because of size and so the police chief a big water, a towering water buffalo he puts her on parking duty she's not happy about that so she manages to run into a woman who is an otter and her husband has gone missing and it turns out there's about 14 mammals that have gone missing in Zootopia and the police are trying to find them so she decides to take on this case and that kind of is what allows her to prove what she is capable of doing and that's what really gets the story hmm. narrative
1: it's like, it, it, what a great way to maybe to talk about discrimination, to to bring that up to your kids. Yes. What, what I really enjoyed about the film,
8: Matt, is unlike other films, it, I guess, first of all, let me back up. It's not unusual to get a movie that is targeting young audiences, that is talking about discrimination, prejudice, inclusion. We see that theme a lot. But what's different about this one is nobody is without guilt. All of these different animals are inside harboring certain prejudices towards other particular groups and that type of thing. So, this isn't really a movie of good guys and bad guys, which I really like about it. It's mm. got a lot more character depth.
1: Yeah, you know, Rod, one thing I was, um, I, I, I remember watching a preview of this just in the theater and mm. just the funny part about the DMV and the, sloths. Yes, the sloth. Yeah, it's it's powerful. I mean, there really is a lot you can do with these animated movies.
8: There really is. Um,
1: And I was concerned after watching those trailers
8: that have been running for the last few months. I thought, oh, I wonder if that's the one funny scene in the movie. Yeah, it is funny throughout. And actually, the sloth scene is it's edited a little bit differently in the movie, and it moves along a little bit. Uh, I don't want to say faster. the, The sloths are still slow, but it fits in a little bit better. But
1: Funny scene at least. Mm. good stuff, you know uh, we're, we're starting to lose your audio for some reason, uh Rod. I think it's probably the the server or something, but um just uh, quickly though you 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 gave it a really good review is this is this an all a one
8: uh, not quite all a's um if, there is some if we can switch over to phone if you need to, Matt, tell your producer, give me a call. yeah
1: <laughs> but, I, I think um, we won't have the time but but just give okay. us the ratings, yeah.
8: Violent concerns. So there is some violence in here. So I would say 8 and over, 10 and over. Be careful about that. There are some scary moments. Overall, though, A minus. Mm.
1: Good job. I, it, To me, really, it, to have good, clean stuff like this, because this is one I know my kids would love to watch and um, we can bring it into the home and 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 then to have a good discussion out of it just as valuable. I-
8: I don't, I don't know if the audio is still hanging in here, Matt, but uh, it's got the funniest nude scene I've ever seen in a movie, and that
1: will <laughs> drop your jaw, right? <laughs> Especially, yeah, it's an animal nude scene, I guess.
8: Exactly. Uh, oh, that's funny. There is funny. This, this one scene where they go into this yoga retreat. And all of a sudden, the with one of the characters says, yeah, this is a naturalist area. Our, our anim- nobody's wearing clothes. <laughs> and then he says, but if you ask me, it's kind of strange when animals do wear clothes. <laughs> and you haven't even thought about this, that all the animals are in clothes and these animals are not. So, <laughs> I mean, I hate, I hate to admit this, but we don't usually, apparent previews, appreciate nude scenes in movies. There's this one. one. There's the one.
1: Well, Rod, we appreciate you and your great work uh, reviewing these. Again, everybody, go to parentpreviews.com. It's a great resource. Also, just gives you great discussion topics to bring up with your kids and uh, to take the movie, I think, to another level. Rod, thank you. Thank you. And have a great weekend. Interesting. Interesting. uh, I'm excited to see this one. Zootopia, again. It's rated PG. And uh, again, go check out parentpreviews.com. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to go see a, uh, and talk to a couple of our producers, meet the producer segment, find out uh, about how student loans are being impacted, um, or how they're impacting our, our, our younger generation, which is, remember, a lot of what's been behind the Bernie Sanders movement. Um, we're going to find out if these two young ladies are going to be voting for Bernie Sanders. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back.
2: be a billionaire so freaking
3: bad by all of the things I never had I want to be on the cover of Welcome back
1: to the Matt Townsend Show. Great little lead in to our next segment called Meet the Producers where we bring in a few of our our uh, producers from, we have a flock of producers. Dozens. And uh, today we have two of them. Liana Tan. Good job.
9: Good job. Well done.
1: And well Caitlin Tomas.
10: Mm. Como, Como estas?
1: Muy bien, too. Mm. And uh, two of our great producers, they, uh, I, I had to overemphasize Liana's name because I always call her Liana because I think it's like more exotic.
9: Okay. Well, <laughs> you can call me Liana. But she
1: likes Liana.
9: I was calling her Liana, too. I now everyone's Liana. practicing in the in mm-hmm. the office.
1: Uh Funny thing is Ben's been calling you Louise, which ben, I've always sound that weird.
10: Good job, what? Ben. Winner.
1: Hey, hey uh, ladies, what are we doing today? By the way, both broadcast journalist majors. Right. And um, they were just telling me yesterday how working on the Matt Townsend Show has changed their life forever. Did we? I don't and they will remember. never be the same.
9: I don't remember this
10: conversation. Yeah, don't <laughs> don't oh,
1: look, sounds like the dryer's ready.
10: <laughs> uh, <laughs> nice how many get the though.
1: clothes out of the dryer? <laughs> what a, so today, Caitlin, you wanted to bring up... Um, the, this whole problem with going through school, getting your degree without getting into debt, student yeah, loans.
10: I think this has been. We've just Leanna and I have been mm-hmm. watching. Obviously, we've all been keeping up with the election year. Yeah,
1: you guys been wearing your "Feel the Burn" T-shirts?
9: And we have. Not, well, no,
10: but... but there are many, many, many what you know, polls are calling millennials that are picking. You know, wearing hashtag fill the burn, and it's kind of because of this movement that he started. Yeah. raising. you know, free education. Let, let's get rid of these student loans, and 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 he's saying making all these promises that sound really enticing, right. to our generation because really we are the nation is nearly in like we are in trillions of dollars of student debt, not oh, millions, not billions, right. trillions. And
9: every year the tuition gets higher. The cost yeah, of and and gets
10: school higher. the the um, money that it takes to go to school is unequal to the amount of money that we make once we get out of school. I mean, if I
1: have a house loan, we're in trillions of dollars of mortgage debt, but I at least have a home. I have a house. Right. I have equity. I have a valuable right. asset. If we you don't. have an education, it is a valuable asset, except it doesn't but it's assili- not a It doesn't mean deduction. you're going to make money, right? It, yeah, right. It's not a deduction. Right. Yeah, it's,
10: it's, and it's really – like Leanna said, it's – anyway, so we're paying all of this money to go to school, and we're – and our generation, right, is finding a lot of – problems with finding jobs once they get out, so they can't pay off this student debt. And we're actually finding that there's thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars every year that are going unused in federal grant loans. All of these things the millennials aren't aware of, ways that they can go to school. Leanna and I are both in our... I'm a senior. Are you a senior? I'm a junior. She's a junior. So we're almost done. But she acts like a senior. Right. But neither one of us have any student debt. I have been able to go... This is my fourth year of college, and I have no debt. I have no debt.
1: But, you, but you, an, you guys have found interesting ways to stay out of debt. Right, of and course. that's kind of what we're going
10: to talk about today. Okay. But an interesting fact, because you talked about last week, you mentioned how you know, there was like 6% of people with student debt said they would cut off their pinky finger just yeah. to get rid of it.
1: Yeah, just cut your finger off.
10: And it's interesting because there's so much money to help millennials go to school and they just don't know where to find it. For example, $2.9 billion of unused federal grant awards. Last year, we're not used. So $2.9 $2. were just not used at all. Oh, man. So there is a way to go to school and sure. to help us get through you know, debt-free. We just Where's don't know what money they are. Going so out. we're going to talk, right. talk about that today. Okay. We're going to talk okay. about how we can Good. get through Good. college. Let me just
1: share something with you.
10: Okay, go for just it. Just before
1: you share how, okay. how to get out of it, how to yeah, stay out of it. it. See, as a parent, when I grew up, my mom would throw a little money towards school because she probably could. But she mm-hmm. was a single mom, you know, making ends meet, that she'd help a little bit. But it seems like today parents can't help; they're strapped. So we're actually just handing the debt down to you. I'm so kind of
9: you, my
10: parents. You just, cup, you just
1: get a cover instead of me paying for it. That would take out of my retirement. You guys just go into debt.
10: Well, Thank no. You. Here's the Thank here's the thing though, Matt. My parents can't help me. You know, they do what they can though. You know, they let me stay at yeah. home. I live at home. They. Yeah. They buy me groceries. They let me do my laundry for free. Right. Um, but you know what? I learned at a very young age that if I wanted to go to college, I needed to get a scholarship. That's and cool. getting a scholarship meant that I needed to Work excel hard. in the classroom when I was in high school. There you go. So I knew that from a very young age. And I think if more parents emphasized that and said, hey, yeah,
6: you high school focus. is all about, you know, it is about
10: sports and extracurricular like it. activities. But you also need to be able to get a scholarship because my parents said, if you don't get a scholarship, you're not going to college. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that was that. that,
9: was that. But cool. uh, I think there's also creative ways that you... I mean, our generation has to become creative oh, to yeah. save we money. We, well, you are a
1: creative generation.
9: <laughs> we are. Thank you. So I've just compiled a list of things that I may or may not have done in my life.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs>
9: are you blinding me right now?
1: No, what's wrong? <laughs> oh, just keep <clears throat> going.
9: Okay. So first of all, I think a lot of college students' money goes towards looking good you know the the gym like getting to the gym like p90x but i i discovered really early you know instead of wasting all that money on you know a vasa membership or p90x dvds i would just go to my mom's you know collection of old vhs's and get out the richard simmons you know vhs's pop pop them in wear (laughs) some 80s spandex and just like dance in my (laughs) living room and you get you know there's so many benefits you just you get that motivational speaker, well, right. you know.
1: Plus, you get a good laugh. <laughs> it,
9: it's great. Absolutely. See that? Yeah. that see, and I laughing, grew up on
1: Richard Simmons.
9: Laughing burns more That's how calories I get this body. than body. Oh yeah. wow! Uh-huh. So, okay. Well, we might need to watch a couple more videos, but and get um, leg
1: warmers because those will help you sweat. Yeah,
9: right. and then you lose and always more.
1: wear a headband.
9: Yeah, always exactly. wear a headband. And uh, <laughs> thank you, thank you, crowd, thank you. Uh, That's
1: Richard Simmons. The
9: other one is like when it's cold, you know, yeah. instead of using the heater, cranking the bill up on the heat bill, yeah. we just like fill a sock up with rice and mm. or like popcorn seeds and you know that aren't poppable and you put them in the microwave Pop it and in. you get not only the benefit of having a warm like buddy to sleep with, yeah. it also you fall asleep to the smell of Chinese food and it's just
1: oh, you I win. I love the smell Chinese of food.
9: Exactly.
1: Warm rice Yes. And soy
10: sauce in the morning.
1: <laughs> that's interesting. That's also maybe why you're both single.
10: Um, this, that was rude.
1: I'm just saying, though. But that's you, Because every time you walk into my office, you do okay, smell Matt, we like we might be single, but rice. we are debt-free. Huh. So.
9: Yeah. yeah. Sing, so, single and debt-free. That's not whatever. bad. Um, we can buy. Um, maybe that's not a good idea. But,
1: <laughs> the, you, but interesting. So you, you've got interesting ways. Uh, what
9: did you do, Matt?
1: Well, but when?
9: Well, how do you save money? Do you save money?
10: I don't save money. Okay, I well, still
1: have student debt. But Are I also have a doctorate, not to brag, I'm a mm-hmm. but i um, But I wanted to say something about how you have done it, okay. Caitlin, Lamar, Thomas. <laughs> Caitlin is a beauty – contest. what do they call you? It's, it's a scholarship contest. A
10: scholarship program. But she's
1: Miss – she is Miss Lehigh. Yes. Lehigh is a town here in Utah. She's Miss Lehigh and she has a crown – that she wears everywhere.
10: I'm wearing it right now. She's
1: wearing it right now. <laughs> but then you you you've got scholarships from that, and they're going to pay you money to go basically be their their queen, and you go hug kids, wave in parades, yep. and Spend sell your rice doing, socks,
10: yep, doing service exactly. projects. Yeah, so and you I have. you
1: do that as a as a means of paying the bills.
9: Yes, and I love it, and it's enjoyable, and you gain a lot of skills
1: while doing. I think it. it's a cool idea. I, I
9: think, love it. in all actuality, like I think the one thing I would tell people to do in college to save money is really just to get involved because you know they give you free food at the events that you go to yeah, usually. BYU totally here on campus, there's almost and always free pizza yeah, somewhere on somewhere. campus, and the more involved you are, the more <laughs> just eligible you are it. for those scholarships.
1: Tell them what I gave you.
9: Um, I
1: gave you free food.
9: Uh, you gave me a Gogurt stick that was four years old. I gave
1: I, you a Gogurt, and Matt
9: I ate Go-Gurts it because I'm saving money.
1: I gave a Gogurt that I found under my seat in my car. I'm four years
9: old, <laughs> from
1: and about two months ago.
9: I, tra- I contracted some sort of disease, but at least I'm debt free, so yeah. it's okay.
1: Yeah, but I mean, I, but I, it's your gut. It's your gut bio. What's it called? What? Your Terry knows. Your gut biome. There it is. I helped biome. with your gut biome. Oh, thank
9: you.
1: Anyways, well, the
10: moral th- of the is story is today is that we are millennials and we're living in this generation, but we know that there are ways to get through and to get an education without having to spend thousands and thousands of dollars. Take advantage of federal grants and loans. Like we said, $2.9 $2. Right. $2. billion went unused last year. It's just – it takes a little bit of work. And, and I it, it takes hard work. It takes creativity. And it also takes getting involved and motivating yourself to exactly. do something.
9: And like saving now – will pay off later, I think.
1: I love it. And um, you also get to smell like a teriyaki exactly. grill.
9: Exactly. I mean, in one situation. Really...
1: Mm. Yeah. You're welcome. You guys, thank you.
10: Leanna, Leana, let's go get one. Great. Get a teriyaki bowl. <laughs> let's go.
1: Again, w- well We're done. We're saving money. Both of you. What? <laughs> Thank Pet- you. Here's yeah.
10: the petite producers for
1: the, you. The, we call you the petite producers. Apparently now we figured out why, because you don't eat, because you're trying to save money for school. Yeah. Keep up, keep up the non-eating. And uh, again, you don't have to vote for Bernie Sanders, but if you want to, it's a free country. Go right ahead. Thank and he you. will help you get out of debt, but you don't have debt. Um, well done, ladies. Well, well done. This is why we want to meet the producers, because they're fabulous and talented And because they said they would strike if we didn't put them on the air. So they're back. They're back! We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we're going to Vegas. We're going to be visiting our good buddies down at uh, BYU Sports Nation. But they're uh, in Vegas, ready to, I guess, uh, start playing in a tournament. Well, the the BYU Cougars are. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. That
3: train to Georgia.
1: Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. A little Gladys Knight for you. Midnight train to Georgia. What better song? To lead out to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, they're hanging out in Vegas, as they're known to do. Spencer Linton, Jerram Jordan.
4: How are you, gentlemen? Gladys Knight was in the ward or congregation of My sister in North Carolina. Really? I imagine the Ward Choir experience was fun.
1: Yeah, she is. She's a member of the LDS Church. (laughs) Did you hear the story about her? She was driving down I-15 through Salt Lake, you know, through like Pleasant Grove area, got pulled over by a police officer. And when they pulled her over, the lady driving the car said uh, that she was taking um, Gladys Knight to do a performance with the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. To practice for it and the guy the cop was like oh no way my wife loves you my wife and i love you because and his wife was driving with him in the police car and uh the wife he, she said why is she driving with you and he said because it's my birthday so she's just coming out with me a little bit today so gladys got out of her car went over and sang happy birthday on the side of the freeway to the police officer
4: to get out of a ticket yes have I hope you? We didn't give her a ticket, I so know, I bet he didn't things yet again. Yeah.
1: he he let her go with a warning <laughs> and then and and she and he bought all of her tapes, so she made a lot of money. She was yeah. selling them out of the back of her car
4: that works, i guess what Except was the worst thing car.
1: you guys have ever done to get out of a ticket?
4: the worst thing or just I've ever done you know the, the oddest thing, ticket? yeah, uh. Well, it's in court right now, so I don't know if we should discuss.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we heard about that one in
4: the My news. My lawyer has instructed me not to discuss these things. <laughs> My lawyer Saul Goodman is going to take care of me. It's all yeah.
1: good. Yeah. Have you have you ever just I just cry. I just break down crying. And if you cry enough and if enough fluids are moving out of your face, then uh they usually just walk away with this weird look.
4: I just hope they're a fan of the show and not a Utah fan. That's kind of what it boils down to me. Oh it boils yeah. To me. Or I use, hey, that, uh, you know, state trooper in my uh, congregation that you might know. Yeah, what's up, man? Cool. I'm hey, not, like, speaking yeah. loud the, or nervous. Yeah, you or, play <laughs> the connection card. Do you know like, Officer absolutely. Jones? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah the... Smith, Johnson, yeah, Jones, get... all those guys, just man. Meet I know the all sergeant the sergeant on the station. Meet their boss and be like, hey, yeah, yeah, I'm good friends with your boss.
1: You know, I've gotten out of it. I've been able to get out of it just saying, where are you going? And I say, I'm going to do a radio show. And then they say, oh, really, what show? And then I tell them, and then they're like, "What?" But, but it's interesting. It, it was actually my old job. I used to be able to do that, and they, because they would know the station really well, and they could get yeah. it. Yeah, and they'd let me go. And then hey, I'd, true, I'd cry.
4: True story. When I was 16 years old, I think I'd had my license. Oh man, probably for a couple of months. And I was leaving my house, and I used to live by train tracks, and there was a train that was stopped and blocking my route to school. Yeah. So I had to go like this roundabout way and take this overpass to get over the train tracks. I was flying uh, because I had to present something in my seminary class. So I was going like 45 and a 25 or whatever. Mm -hmm. Cop pulls me over, and he asks me, where are you going? And I'm like, you know, he's never going to buy this, but this is the absolute truth. I'm going to my seminary class to present this lessoner with his story, and he's like, uh-huh. So he goes back to his car, comes back, and for whatever reason, he's like, you're lucky, day, because I, I, left my, I left my ticket papers at Ugh. the station. And I'm like, did you See? really, or do you just feel bad because I said, That's a miracle. Going to, I'm going to seminary.
1: See, so that's a miracle. Don't discount the miracle.
4: I think he just didn't want to let me have the satisfaction of knowing that he felt bad about giving the kid in high school, going to late to seminary. Right. See? This precedes the miracle. Yeah.
1: Oh, man. See, these are the lessons they don't get on any other station. <laughs>
4: <laughs> what are we supposed to talk about now?
1: I don't know. Are we on the air? Is, when, yeah, when are we going on the air, you guys?
4: But Jeremy asks that question every day because generally we talk about something super random. And I, know. I love it. Hey,
1: here's just a quick random one for you. Did you hear about the lady? We talked about it earlier. A, a, a guy went in to visit his girlfriend who was working at a pharmacy. Another, uh, he's he's talking to her about what, what she wants for lunch. He was going to bring her lunch. And while he's standing there, a man comes in and robs the pharmacy. Okay, I hate when that happens. And so, but little did the guy that's robbing the pharmacy know that the dude with the girlfriend is a boxer, like two-time champion. And four punches later, the robber's out cold.
4: <laughs> that's awesome.
1: That's cool. You know what I mean? I mean, there's a time for violence. <laughs>
4: There is a time for ask Ammon about
1: that. Ammon, uh, Ammon, the Olson. I was that's what I was like. Okay, I'll I'll ask Ammon.
4: This is a reference. a scriptural
1: reference.
4: uh, Whatever topic segment with us today.
1: Hey, um, you guys, speaking of, uh, you know, doing the proper thing and being being good and seeing miracles. Any miracles going to happen in Vegas this weekend?
4: That Kyle there Collins, can be, who by the way compared himself to a dragon, and they did fight like dragons.
1: Mm.
4: Yeah, he said he's going to fight like a dragon down here.
1: Cool. We need so, that.
4: Our, our Twitter question today is: uh, Let me let's see what the exact phrasing. What other animals best describe BYU players? Oh wow. <laughs> So we're going to name. Uh, it's a Friday, man. Yeah, yeah. Kyle Collins is comparing himself to a dragon. A dragon. He, he's going to join not? us as well. Sure. Why not? Sure. He's going to join the show. Tom Homo, BYU athletic director, also a member of the 10 person uh, uh, NT basketball committee that mm-hmm. determines the bits to the NCAA tournament. He's on that. So he'll join us. We'll uh, pick his brain a little bit about that process. This is your two for him. Man. For and so he's, he's an important dude this yeah. time of year. Pretty busy. He has like four or five conferences of games that he has to watch and know what's going on and everything. Oh, wow. It never
1: ends for him, really.
4: This is the busiest well, the month over, it of yeah. the year of his life. It's out of control what Boy. he has to do and where he has to go and how many frequent flyer miles he logs. It's nuts.
1: Dude, that's think cool.
4: Of, think about how many free yeah free hotel and airlines he gets out of that.
1: That's you know true. What
4: the take, points and whatnot.
1: Take the family on a trip hey, later.
4: That, that's awesome.
1: Mm-hmm. That's
4: living large. As if being the athletic director wasn't enough.
1: Yeah. Anything else He's going to be on this. your show, you guys?
4: Uh, just those two. Man. Tom Holmo, Kyle Collins. Is that not enough? No, 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 no. The athletic director and NCAA Tournament Selection Committee Remember? member and Kyle Collins. Celine Culver, Dion, the West the, Coast uh, Conference segment, Player maybe? of the Year. And you want, then, on, do you want you got Donnie Celine? and Marie later? You have,
1: can you get Donnie and Marie on? That Ooh, would be we, incredible. we
4: could get Donnie we and Marie t- on They asked, Las Vegas. We told them no. We were like, no, nah, we're busy. We yeah, gotta, we, we
1: don't want that.
4: They've that's... got the number one show in Vegas, right? We're yeah, like, we want we want both or none of you. And they're like, "Well, just Marie." We're like, Donnie, yeah. "Donnie's a big BYU fan." I wonder. No, totally. I wonder. No, to- get over there. All Everyone right. keeps calling us to get on. We're like, we're so loaded. We're like, we don't have time for all you people.
1: Did you guys do anything fun last night, or did you just go home and go to bed? Oh
4: no, slept, sleep. We got done at ten.
1: Yeah, that's we're not like, fun. We're out. Somebody needs to tell the bosses down there that you're in Vegas. You got to get over to you got to get to Donnie and Marie. Just tell him that. Just say. Just say, Matt says we need to get to Donnie. Anyway.
4: Don Shaline said that we need to get over there.
1: Our very own Don Shaline. No relation to Don <laughs> Osmond. No relation. Well, guys, have a great show. Knock them dead, and have a great weekend. I mean,
4: same to you. I know we'll you'll be, be busy. We're doing the show tomorrow, by the way. Everybody's Mid- working for the weekend.
1: Oh, you did it again.
4: At least here.
1: Every yeah, we're not. I'm not.
4: Hey, remind me to tell you about the time I ran over a girl's. Mailbox on a blind date. We'll do that on Monday.
1: Man, I love it when you tease. That's a good tease.
4: <laughs> Such a tease. Coming up <laughs>
1: Monday, we'll find out about the mailbox <laughs> destroyed was, on a blind date.
4: It was epic. And the phone call that I got from her dad the next day. <laughs>
1: <laughs> You're in troublemaker, man. Have fun. And remember, you can always sing happy birthday if you get over.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Gladys <laughs> Knight. <laughs> Me from the past. Perfect. I thought that was (laughs) Jerem Yeah, I was like, Uh, is that me? Am I making that? You're you're singing it again.
1: Well done, boys. Keep singing. Life is good with uh, with you and your show. You're awesome. I'm
4: never gonna dance again.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my heavens, they sing so much. It's awesome. How do we We never sing and they always sing. I don't even dare sing now that they've they've got good voices. What is our deal?
7: Well, I I tried to sing you Happy Birthday one time, but then you told me never to sing again.
1: Yeah, that rule is still in play, by the way. Okay, it's not that your voice is bad.
7: It's not. It's probably more my face, right? No, it's the, it's just my your face. Voice, while I
1: sing, your voice just
7: isn't good. Okay, it's not even bad. It's just it's mediocre. Yeah, nah. It's not like two points above mediocre.
1: Yeah, that's kind of more it. That's. It's, uh, yeah, Terry added in. No, it's not your voice. It's just, I don't know. I feel weird with you singing to me. Bad boys, bad boys. What you gonna do? What you gonna do when they're for you? So investigators in Jacksonville uh, Sheriff's Office in Jacksonville, Florida, uh, are looking for a clumsy burglary suspect who was caught on surveillance video falling through the ceiling of a Popeye's. <laughs> You know, you see these all the time. They think they can just, I guess, climb through the ceiling. They don't apparently have never seen what's in these ceilings, but he fell right through it. And the video shows the man crashing to the floor in a heap early Monday. He's then seen struggling to pry open a safe under a counter using a variety of items that were at hand. Uh, according to a news release on the sheriff's website, the man got away with an undetermined amount of cash and a cervical spine injury. So that'll teach you. And uh, tell me this isn't crazy. A woman who went, underwent the knife for a little uh, nip and tuck in 2013 ended up with a case of the pocket and run or became a temporary kleptomaniac. This is why you got to be careful getting a – getting like a facelift because first it's a facelift and the next thing you know, you're stealing things from the store. For life science, the 40-year-old Brazilian had cosmetic surgery on her stomach and arms, but just a few days after the procedure she started having recurring intrusive thoughts and an irresistible compulsion towards stealing, as well as feeling relieved after the act. She had turned into a kleptomaniac overnight, all because the doctors think the woman, who had no history of substance abuse or mental health issues, suffered something that they call hypoxic ischemic brain injury while undergoing the surgery. She complained of certain symptoms, mainly feeling sleepy, disoriented and apathetic and had an insatiable need for more and more handbags. After undergoing uh, the procedure, the doctors gave her an MRI, found out that she had been deprived of blood flow at some point during her procedure, which they believe is setting off some of the symptoms and, her, her, uh, and slowing down her ability to control her own impulses. Now she's a kleptomaniac. Isn't that sad? You go in just to get a little nip and tuck. Next thing you know, you're face down at a Walmart, and they have tased you. Today's it. As you know, uh, we always like to end the show with a hero story. Our hero today is a Georgia police officer, Sergeant John Kane. Half marathon runner Robert McCoy was less than 200 yards from the finish line when he tripped and fell, scraping his legs and his face on the hard ground. Sergeant John Kane, a 27 year old veteran of the police department, saw the whole thing happen. Kane was assigned to the area near the end of the race and he knew he had to do something. Kane says he ran over to the man to help him out, and the man kept saying, I've got to finish the race. I've got to finish the race. Kane asked the man if he wanted help. The man said yes. Kane put his arm around McCoy's shoulder and ran with him the rest of the way to the finish line, followed closely by a paramedic on a bicycle just behind them. Kane says, I could feel in my heart that he needed to finish. There was a purpose for him doing so, and he wanted to accomplish the goal. I am just so glad that I was in a position to help him to do that. In an inspiration to me, uh, he is an inspiration to me. He is the hero in this story. McCoy finished the race, and the race, uh, he finished it, by the way, in an hour and 41 minutes. It's amazing. And again, a cop. You always hear bad stories about police officers. They have a heart, too, and they're there, uh, not just at the marathon, but uh, they're there in our lives when we need them. Folks, we all can be heroes. We just need to uh, be there in the moment and follow that prompting that's telling us to get out of our comfort zone and go help. I challenge you this weekend, just go be a part of your family's life, get closer to the people you love, and, uh, and become a difference. Know that you can be a difference maker on this earth. That's the show. Until Monday, watch out for each other. Go check us out on iTunes, on TuneIn. You can go look at all of our listen to all of our podcasts, send them to friends and pass those around. Also look us up at BYU Radio or find the BYU Radio app and you can find our podcast there. Until Monday, take care of each other. We'll be back Monday with more ideas to help you live longer and love stronger. Take care and make it a great weekend.